What's up everyone? This is Steve PDF, Steve Ironed Out, Sugar White, whatever else you want to call me. This episode was recorded a few weeks back when this whole corona thing was still sort of in its infancy in the UK. We wanted to get it right and make it as entertaining to listen to as we could, so it took a little bit longer. Um, and as a result of that, some of the things that uh, you're going to hear in this episode are a little bit out of date now. Uh, for example, there's some gig adverts, and all of them are either cancelled or postponed until a future date. So keep your eyes peeled for them uh, after all this shit has calmed down. Hopefully we'll work out some way of keeping the episodes flowing while all this is going on to give you something to listen to. But for now... Waymer Lewis and myself would like to send out our best wishes to everyone listening, their families, their friends, during these uncertain times to come. Don't let fear guide you. Stay safe, stay alert, look out for others, and look out for yourselves, and we will see you on the other side. You're listening to the Everyone But Us podcast, straight from the heart of London. Yo, what's up everyone? My name's Waymer. My name's Lewis. My name is Sugar White. And make some unadulterated noise, please. Shamalo, what's happening, boy? What's happening, boy? So, before we start, I'd like to send a shout out to our regular listeners, our part time listeners, and any new listeners. And without further ado, we have a very interesting guest in the building. Very interesting, I would say. He was a member of one of the most influential UK hardcore bands. He ran his own DIY music label, Blackfish Records. Oh yeah, I did, didn't I? He did. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, released over 20 CDs, one of which was very close to my heart, uh, Time Won't Heal This. Oh, damn. He's an author of, I believe, five books, one of which features a toothless... Peruvian vocalist on the front cover that <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into later he was a writer for Terrorizer magazine and was responsible for getting the UK hardcore scene a lot of mainstream media uh, coverage through that so without further delay I'd like to welcome my good friend my brother UK hardcore legend <laughs> Mr Ian that's me, everybody. Yay! That's it. That's real. That's real. That's a great introduction, man. That's really nice. You like man. that? Yeah, that's nice. He's one of our own. He's one of our own. Oh, you're getting a bit sentimental now. He's one of our own. He plays bass when he wants. <laughs> he plays bass. So, Ian, how you doing, man? I'm all right, mate. Good, good to be here. Good, man. Nice to see you again. I'd like to thank you for coming, man. And, you know, you've had to travel down from quite far. So, I really appreciate it, man. And uh, before we get into it, we always start with a little bit of just general conversation to, you know, loosen up. So Steve's just come back from holiday. How was that, yeah. Steve? Where did you go? I went to Cape Verde. Yes. And it was beautiful. Beautiful. Very warm. Yes. Uh, you I have s- got a bit of a... I've got a I that. You've got a bit of a white man tan. Yeah, I know. Like red, hasn't I'm, gone brown yet. Yeah, you don't look that tan, <laughs> like. Yeah. I can't sit in the sun because if I sit in the sun... I, I, in fact, I did get heat exhaustion when I was out there. Oh, did it you? weren't even thirty degrees out there, but I, I felt so ill. Heat exhaustion? What sunstroke? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like one step before sunstroke. Oh, okay. And I was just literally from spending like half hour or an hour sitting out in the sun. And where was it? it? So where? That's like um, Cape Verde is Cape off Verde. the coast of West Africa. You yeah. know that, Ian? Cape Verde is it like Canary Islands? That sort of it, way. It's, it's about. 
oh, I suppose about a thousand miles further down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so it's off the coast of yeah. Senegal and then Mauritania just above that. Yeah. Right, it's okay. a former colony of Portugal. How do you know that? I think it is still. Because... Um, no, I don't no? think I don't think it is under. I, no, I don't think it is underneath it. But I th- obviously, I think they might use the euro or some shit. But they speak Portuguese yeah. on that island, and how do I know that? Because I'm a very well cultured and educated person who checks stuff out and reads stuff, and I'm very much into history as well. He gets he gets stoned and he just reads the internet. I don't smoke. I don't smoke anymore. I stopped smoking. Well, I've stopped yeah. smoking for a bit now. But yeah, I've stopped That's smoking good. now. But yeah. So um, I was gonna, on the travels. Did you notice yeah. anything different with this? Uh, coronavirus thing no, going I mean, on oh yeah I did actually tell and us about there it. were people on in the airport but on the aeroplane as well wearing medical masks nerd shit innit yeah that's quite that's and I, quite. there was there was one woman right and this cracked me up as well so there was a row of three me and my girlfriend and this woman and this woman had the mask on in the queue getting on the plane she had the mask on when she was sitting on the plane and then the meal comes round and down it come yeah. <laughs> and I thought to myself what the mask or the trousers <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, Can't and I just thought it. to myself even if that mask did make a blind bit of fucking difference you've just took it off yeah um, I know you know just just eating something just like 15 minutes ago someone was sat in there with their scarf over their face and I was thinking oh really surely you don't think that's protection just keeps you warm the only thing that scares me is that the media only tell you what they want you to know exactly. so right. it's what they yeah. don't tell you that you really need to be worried about and it's the same with everything it's the same with Brexit yeah. and everything general elections so what they want you to know they tell you so reading between the lines who knows what that's what scares happen. me. Yeah. What do you think about the discrimination side of it? Because yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty bad, man. It's uh, bad. I'll tell you, it's just a, another excuse to be a cunt in it. Did you see that? There's that one Asian uh, woman that was on the ch- on the train in Russia. Oh yeah, that was fucked up. Everyone was just moving away. Yeah. From, everyone was like, literally, she posted it on Twitter or, or on one of her social media accounts. She was like, basically going, yeah, like. I'm sitting here and people are like actively not sitting next to me and they're moving their shit away from me and it's just it's just fucking yeah. ignorance now man. she knows how I feel is that in London? <laughs> yeah yeah that was in London so that's like one of the most cosmopolitan cities in the world yeah, yeah man yeah. We, had a, we had a conversation on this podcast about um, the tube in Russia and it's like sardines yeah yeah so if you're in Russia I'm not sure if this was Russia but any time in the day if you're on the central line and you've got two seats either side of you empty that says a lot that says a lot that says a that lot that says a lot that says people are just fucking ignorant I mean yeah there's but, been cases of, sorry there's cases of kids getting bullied now at school and getting picked on yeah. because they're of Chinese descent or they're mixed heritage yeah, or mixed sad, race sad. and it's not right Stupid. man it's not bad but it's not good I wouldn't say it's I wouldn't say it's do you know what it is it's programming if you hear every day this virus is this, this virus is going there. Of course. And then you're seeing Asian people with masks on and doing this and doing that. After a while, your brain would, you see, your brain would start to compute things differently. Trust me, mate. Even when you don't realise you're doing it. It's like when you, sorry, it's like when you fall and you just put your hands out. You, you know, don't think about putting your hands out. Your hands just come out to protect yourself. I, I know, I know for thing. a fact, like all the uh, Asian tourists that we get here, whether what they're from China or Japan or whatever, the guys walking around in central London doing their tourist thing, getting on with their lives. You know, for a fact, there's European tourists as well going like, oh, telling their kids or whatever, don't go near them. They might have coronavirus or some shit. You yeah. know, you know, it's happening. Like, 
It's yeah. definitely fucking happening. There's some ignorance going on at the moment. No, man. I, I definitely sad, yeah. mate. It's really sad. But hopefully they get a, a grip on it and contain it, and then everyone can go back to fucking hating Muslims or whatever they were hating before. That, I don't know. <laughs> People with that. It's just another thing on it. It's, <laughs> yeah. just, it's just another thing to hate on, isn't yeah. it? Now, like, yeah. Have we got anything on? What do you guys think of Harvey Weinstein? He's a cunt. Overly dirty fucking cunt. Dirty also, cunt. I've seen a video um, of him walking out of jail. Um, walking out of jail. He's such a wanker. Like, without I mean, no fucking frame. Oh my like god, that. he deserves an Oscar for that. Yeah, he's a prick, mate. Like <laughs> he deserves an Oscar for that. I, I couldn't yeah. believe it. Like I see him on this like wheelchair thing. What is it? It's even like a wheelchair. Zimmer frame, right? Yeah, it's like a Zimmer frame. Basically, cost like five grand or something. It was a spin to make him look frail. Yeah, it's all a spin, mate. Exactly. He's all trying to play on fucking emotion. It'd be interesting to see how long he lives in jail for before he before the cameras outside his cell go down. Yeah, that's yeah. all. Listen, and he's mysteriously found hung. That's like, well, yeah, but that's fucking all Oprah's boy, Obama's boy, all these Hollywood liberal types. That's their boy. Yeah, yeah. They're all silent now. They don't say nothing. But there's pictures <laughs> out there of them hanging with that fucking dude. They're all. I'm not saying that they're complicit with that shit, yeah, yeah, yeah. but that's their boy. I remember seeing an interview though with Esther Ranson and she turned around and she was like almost in tears going, I think it was Esther Ranson anyway, she's going, I just never thought Jimmy would ever do anything like that. Talking about Jimmy Savile. Do you see the shit that come out today? So just lastly before we obviously go into it because I've no, got one for time but do you see about that, um, the paedophile thing in, in um, has the Parliament they're saying well today there was cover-ups of fucking oh, I, heard, I haven't read about it I haven't actually yeah, checked it out yet but I heard maybe, maybe we'll talk about it on the next one I'm saying but like there was legit cover-ups of people doing fucking horrible horrible shit and I thought that's been known for a while though isn't it? Well, yeah, that surprised me man. there was a court case yeah. about it and some dude actually apparently he went there was a court case surrounding it and there was a guy who was um, turns out that he was lying about it but Right. It never went anywhere, but this whole investigation, they've just turned around and said that basically there was no um, paedophile ring in, uh, what's it called, in, West, in the Houses of Parliament, but there was definitely MPs and lords as such who were definitely involved in doing that sort of fucking activity wow. and it was covered up. And I mean, it doesn't matter what party they were from, at the end of the day, they're all politicians. They're all part of that same fucking sick world. And like, it's just disgusting, man. And it's, it's still happening today. People could turn around and say it's not because it fucking is, man. No, it it's is, man. It's definitely happening. It's bad. It's fucking terrible. You know what? Next podcast, we're going to hit on that. Yeah. We're going to hit that into yeah, depth. Yeah, yeah, it's fucking disgusting. So I've got one last thing I want to ask before we get on to Ian, our main guest. Have you seen that thing? Um, I don't know if you remember a while back, there was a hologram of Tupac doing a, um, a concert and they had a hologram. Oh, at Coachella. Coachella yeah, yeah, and yeah. had a hologram of Tupac and he was performing with Snoop Dogg. Yeah. Right. Now, I just read on the news and that's in they're doing a Whitney Houston hologram tour. So they have yeah. a live Fuck. band and they have a hologram of, for a while, of Whitney stuff. Houston. They've been doing Alvis, Alvis and Roy Orbison. They, the, they've been on tour. Dio's yeah. Really? And yeah. where have I been hiding? I thought that was the, the, the hologram Ronnie James Dio has been doing gigs in front of like no, 3,000 seat venues in America. What? Been in? For real, yeah. Fred had the Freddie Mercury one, didn't they, as well, a while back? That was a tour. A few years ago, yeah. Would you pay? Would any of you guys pay to watch a fucking hologram? No, personally, <laughs> I wouldn't, mate. It's well, not what it is, the Dio one is a live band. Yes, I'm And then awesome. it's just Dio in the middle, hologrammed up, doing being Dio. Without being stupid. It's mad. What do they do? They must take the, the, the stems off the album. I, th I think they take live recordings. Three cameras yeah. I'd, I'd probably go and see Cliff Burton do a bass solo yeah. oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'd be interesting man fuck yeah. oh, whatever freezes and they just turn it on and turn it back off again like just in case <laughs> yeah. do, you know, do you know what they should yeah, do right 
they should get like do do Gigi Allen <laughs> and you got to wear 3D glasses and he chucks shit so when he throws shit it's like <laughs> for fuck's sake <laughs> 4D experience 4D experience yeah that's it yeah and you that's can have like right. someone you can have like, like you know we put some manure down so you get the smell scratch and sniff tickets. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah we can do that so here man anyway we'll get on to here man are you I was having a conversation with Pierre and he said you're a black belt or he thinks you're a black belt in karate or something is that true yeah yeah, oh, I, shit, I got I got a black belt in Wadaru Karate about about ten years ago. Holy moly! How did you oh, yeah, get into yeah. that? I I did martial arts ever since I was a little kid. Like at at school, I started with judo, and then um, then I started doing ninjutsu. So chucking stars at people and rock, you know break falling in the car park outside the dojo and stuff. Wow. And so you then, actually had a star and like find that shit Back to, is there a technique to find a well the, you, you practice with rubber ones rather than metal ones ah, but okay, yeah okay. but it, it wasn't as good as it was cracked up to be in the film site and then um, and then I did Aikido which which was alright but it wasn't like Steven Seagal sort of thing <laughs> I was just about to say yeah. <laughs> oh one of our friends does Aikido um, our uh, friend from Holland uh, Gerwin Ah, going, yeah, going, yeah, going. Yeah, going, yeah. Sorry, going. <laughs> that was, I mean, it was a good martial art for like, from a sort of meditative sort of point of view, but, you know, how effective it will actually be. So then I started doing the karate and did that for 10 years and then um, got, yeah, you know, once you get to sort of first down, I don't know, I sort of lost a bit of interest in it really because you're so focused on getting there, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and then, so then I did BJJ for, quite a few years after that knocked it all on the head about three years ago um fucked my neck up real bad um, so how do you manage to fuck your neck up then well yeah i was training so the club i was training at so i'm only like 65 kilos like soaking wet and um there were all these like you know built polish Burly. russian guys just ma- right. just ma- you. just machines at, at bjj yeah. and you know and the instructor would say well don't train with them you know wait till someone your size is is ready to roll but you know the the male ego is like a fragile thing and you think yeah. like i'm gonna dive in there and they're like let's just roll light as soon as you bump fist just ah, you know and uh, yeah i had my neck cranked a couple of times and um you so know. you decided to just knock it on knock yeah on the yeah so no I mean, pun intended yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh listen i just forgot it's uh going doesn't do akido he does hapkido is that hapkido yeah. i don't know i don't it's yeah it's probably yeah. from the same sort of family but just to uh clarify that yeah you talk about cigar all that little hand is that all real is that all glamorized or is that actually well the the thing is with aikido and if there's any sort of people really into aikido listening and you know don't take offense um you know it's a really good martial art but when i was training it seemed that the two people had to cooperate with each other so it was very much Uh, so it's very much like a flow ebb and flow kind of thing um you know, so you know there were a lot of benefits to it, and a lot of those wrist locks really do work because I used them in BJJ on people, and it was like really caught them by surprise. You know, the sneaky wrist locks and stuff. But you know, the BJJ and and the full contact karate, and that was like completely non cooperative. So you kind of knew whether it worked or not when you got hit. <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> have you ever had to like use it in real life? Have you ever, no, have you ever no, fuck someone up? No, no, That's never. All. And you know what? It's that's why I kind of got into it. Um, no, it's not why I got into it. I, so, you know, I kind of got into it because I was a bit of a wuss and a bit puny and I thought I need to be able to defend myself. But as soon as I started doing martial arts, you know, I developed much better awareness of how to avoid 
conflict. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so real self-defense is like, you know, avoiding it in the first place, not parking your car in the darkest corner of the car park at 3 a.m., you know. You know, and if you actually get into a fight, well, your self-defense has kind of failed, really. You know, that, yeah, you know, yeah. so um, I never really got into it with anyone, really. Do you, you know, know I, I used to love karate, and I remember watching Karate Kid, and literally, you know, you used to do the wax on, wax off. Yeah. And I used to be a little kid, and I used to be practicing all this shit, and I used to actually think, like, yeah, I can do karate. And then I went to a class, and I must have lasted about three days, and I just <laughs> I just lost interest. But I really wish that's something that I'd done when I was young. Do you know what I mean? So you went home and started waxing on a wax on a few Someone but, kicked you in the teeth, and you thought, oh... <laughs> I, don't, I don't like this <laughs> but it seems like now everyone's doing MMA you, you, like oh God, that yeah. seems to be like everyone's into jiu-jitsu now as well like, I mean I'm, it's I, very it's, popular it's, it's, I mean if it keeps you fit and it keeps you fucking handy on your toes and shit then fair play but it just more, seems like everyone gets into a thing in it like what's popular at the it's time it's more interesting than the gym like but um, the first BJJ class I went to it was like um, free fighting you know it was just a free for all excuse me what does BJJ stand for? Sorry, because I'm oh, Brazi- totally Bra- Brazilian, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Jiu-Jitsu. Okay, because I'm... So I sort of went in there and they're like, oh, you know, it's free sparring tonight. You know, you, you sure you don't want to sit out, you know, as the, the newbie? And I'm like, no, 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 you know, I'm a black boy in karate, I'll be fine. Like. And um, so this guy, and he was he was obviously taking it easy with me, but um, he, he just put me to sleep in about three seconds. Holy Fucking shit. hell. <laughs> what was the yeah. move? Well, I, I thought I sort of bowled him over onto the floor thinking I got him now. And then next thing I know, they're lifting my legs up saying, you all right? I'm like... Shit. <laughs> 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 and I'm like... Wow, I, I'm like, like I was just like, I haven't shit myself or anything, have I? And they're like, no, you're all right. You know, but, I've seen a couple of videos. I've, I've seen one video a few years ago of some dude on a, um, on a New York subway train. And then some guy was just fucking with him, kept fucking with him. And all of a sudden, he's just like just grabbed him with some headlock and he just rolled they were on the floor of this fucking New York subway car <laughs> Holy and shit. the dude was just asleep and his mates were like yo 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 get off get off get off <laughs> he weren't getting off of it this dude like he was like just holding onto his neck but then eventually he fucking let go but yeah the dude was out cold you know when you put jiu is no joke man it's no, like, joke. it's no joke when you put someone to sleep how, how do you know that they're just knocked out or you haven't killed them well, is that length of time what you're doing there is um you know, one way of getting. So I was them, just, I was yeah. just imaging a net lock. Yeah, time. so that's yeah. like the, the Mataleo move. You know, like the Biohazard album is named after. Oh, okay. Which is like the I lion killer. You know, the rear naked choke. But the way I used to put people to sleep in competitions, and it was just really crafty. It was just an old guy, you know, playing to his strengths. You know, they'd be ragging me around all over the place, and I'd just slip my hand in their collar and just wait, you know, for the right moment, and then you could just get like a, a collar choke on them. And take them down. Yeah, and, and the more they struggled, the tighter it got. And you yeah. were sort of, you know, it was... Wow. It's, no, it's like, it's just, it's points in it, like in, in, yeah. in your mm. neck or, or, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I'm no expert. I don't know, but I'm just going off of what people might have said or what I might have read or what, but it's just, it's just pressure points in that. Like, if you get the right point, you're gone. You're going to sleep, mate. Steve yeah. just tells people yeah. his life story. Well, it started in 1978. 79, actually, get it right. Saturday, 18th of April, Radio Eye Collective presents, all the way from Scotland, Revulsion. 
They're joined by Glasgow's finest kingpin, the heavy metallic sound of splintered stiff meds from London with their chaotic in-your-face hardcore punk, and Burn Alive, performing for the very first time. That's Saturday 18th of April at the Old Blue Last, Great Eastern Street, Hackney. So anyway, like on this podcast, like we've had a lot of cool guests, and we always usually talk about the mid '90s and the 2000s because that was our era of hardcore. Yeah, yeah. Speak for yourself. But like, yeah. Well, <laughs> all right, all right. Then. <laughs> you know I mean? Old young buck over here, like ben- Benjamin Button over there. <laughs> but um, the cool thing about having you on is um, I'm old. Yeah, I <laughs> you're older. <laughs> but the cool thing about having you on is that usually you got into the hardcore punk class, hardcore scene, or whatever you want to call it, uh, in the 80s. So what we would love to know is what was the scene like in the 80s and like how did you get involved? So I got into it about 1980. So Fuck, man. Wow. I was, how old was I? I was 13 then. You were about 17, 18. (laughs) (laughs) Minus something. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I was, um, you know, I I know I got into, it was quite, so I remember listening, one day I was listening to Stray Cats, then the next I was listening to Adam and the Ants, the next I was listening to Killing Joke, and then the next I was listening to Discharge. It was like a real quick awakening. So 1980 was like a really fertile time. For, for, for underground music and I think and the other thing is is I think the stuff you get into between like the ages of 13 and 20 that's the stuff that sticks with you and that's that's the stuff that gets hardwired into your into your head and um, you know there were some older punk guys at air school you know and I was kind of fascinated what was you know, it just about them? Was them. it just the fact that they... Was it like Greece? Did they have the T-Bird jackets on? <laughs> no, but they're the cool kids, you know yeah, I mean? they, yeah, you know, they were, the, they were the guys, you know, smoking at the school gate and, yeah, and yeah. slam dancing at the school disco and stuff like that. And, you know, and I... I don't know. I, I didn't really know where I wanted to be or who I wanted to, you know, who I wanted to be at that time. And when I heard that Discharge single, it was just like... You just know, blew your just, mind away. Just the blinkers came mm. off, and it was just a re- you know a genuine what the fuck sort of moment. Um, yeah, yeah. I'd never heard anything like it. The single's called Decontrol, and it's like the most primal, Whoa. intense rage, you know. And this guy's like screaming about you know the system and yeah. you know the government lying to you and that. And I was like you know what's all this it was you know Thatcher just yeah. coming as well so yeah, yeah I mean it was it was that era and um so that was you know so I start I had like a couple of paper rounds and I was I was like pulling in like five six pound a week off these paper rounds <laughs> and I was just literally pe- putting it all over the counter at the local record shop and ah, buying all these punk records as they came out so they used to come out on a Monday were they like just seven inches like seven yeah. inches yeah. yeah 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 and um we had one of the famous labels called no future which had like bands like blitz partisans Peter and the test you babies that was like five miles from where i live so you could get on the train and actually go over to the label and buy these records you know for like 50p and stuff like that and um you know and and if you want to know what the scene was like back then so we'd get off the train in morven and you had to walk through the morven winter gardens which was a park to get to this record store 
but that was where all the Malvern mods used to hang out. So oh, it was like, it was like running the gauntlet. <laughs> so you had, so you had your leather jacket on with studs and Ledbury punks painted on the arm and stuff like that, and be chased up the road by the Malvern mods. Oh really? Yeah. It was yeah. almost like the fucking Warriors or yeah. some shit. Like. The Warriors. Now what's yeah, that? Yeah. The quad- Quadrophenia. Yeah. Quadrophenia. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I mean, it was you know, it was. Yeah, you know, it was great fun. And well, I mean, the one thing I suppose when you look back at those gigs in the 80s was how violent they were. Tell so, us about it, man. We want to know. So, you, I mean, there was, you know, I probably didn't, you probably didn't go, probably didn't go to a gig in the 80s where there wasn't a fight. You know, it was that bad. What was it over? Would it be just from people being drunk or would it be from people like much dancing and then someone pushes into someone else or would it just be over nothing a lot of it was in you know a lot of it was into town rivalries you know punks from one town punks from another town just oh, getting really? into it and then there'd be punks and skinheads you know and punks and bikers and you know stuff like that and um but then also you j- it was just so boisterous and everybody yeah. was drunk so you know some you knock someone's pint out of their hand when you're dancing and it would all it'd be a off. reason for like a bar fight and just yeah yeah but you know i mean i went to see gbh two or three times i mean i suppose it, the clue was in the name wasn't it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but, you i know. still wanted the best names like yeah, yeah it's fucking yeah, yeah. so yeah. i mean i went iconic band name man. i went to see them a couple of times and you know the first two or three times they never played more than two or three songs i saw them once at the dig best civic hall in birmingham it was probably about 1982 and just tons of skinheads piled in through the front door lane for everybody. Was it heavily right wing? Um, uh, is well, that fair to say? Or was it? Was it? I mean, I, I guess a lot of those skinheads were into. It was NF back then. You know, it was like yeah, the National yeah. Front. Um, but you know, and, and uh, I, the guitarist. I think he threw his guitar into the crowd at somebody and it didn't come back onto the stage. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> some guy took his bullet belt off and basically cleared the venue, swinging it around, and you're thinking, that's shit, you know, yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah. shit, I got, you know, I travelled all this way on the train for now and I was sitting and played like two songs. But didn't you leave that with a bit of a buzz? Like, because we talk about all the time, like, there's some, it's a bit. Sh- Silly saying it, but going to a show and that element of danger that, yeah. well, is a bit of a... That edge. I mean, you don't. Yeah. I don't miss it. I mean, I don't miss... So the first thing I used to do when I got to a gig was figure out where the exits were. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah. And you would sort of stand with your back to the wall, keeping an eye on everything and thinking, yeah, it's going to kick off. It's going to kick off. And, any um, moment. And it usually did. And um, Did you get involved in any rucks, obviously, pre well, The thing is... Um, the, the band I was in back then, the first the first proper band I was in was called uh, Decadence Within. Uh-huh. The first band was called Ammonia 77, which is a shit name. <laughs> we did like a dozen gigs and a demo and then became Decadence Within in 1984, I think. And um, we had some shock, shockers like gigs where we, you know, we had one we played with a, a whole coachload of Welsh skinheads came up there's about 50 of them on this bus all armed to the teeth and they just trashed the place what, knives think, knives hammers bats uh, sharpened wooden stakes they literally yeah. just oh, come there to yeah. fight oh. period yeah yeah and um, you know and it, it all kicked off and, and you know that venue got closed down and um, it was a good you know local venue and uh, loads of them went got nicked and a couple of them went down I think for aggravated assault and stuff uh, but you know that happened sort of every couple of months we'd play and they'd be the band would have to stop because glass is flying everywhere and 
you know, some people still talk about some of those gigs. One one gig we did at a community centre in Swindon just got completely trashed by a big gang of sort of casuals who just basically just gate crashed the gig because they were fed up of all these punks making their noise in this community So casuals centre. wouldn't be like, when we say casual, we're, talk, we're talking about people that weren't into this type of music. Yeah, kind yeah, of sort like of... Small football types, isn't it? Like the casuals, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, 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 they're probably more like, I don't know, they're probably more like, I suppose you call them chavs or yeah, something. Yeah, I was like, literally yeah. going to say that. Like, I, mean, I know chav is a derogatory yeah, yeah. of inverted commas and that, but yeah, pretty but, much chavy boys. Like. But we were playing on stage and then all the windows came in and one of their mates had his arm burst with a bat and that was because he put his hand up to stop this guy hitting him on the head with a bat. So God knows what the bat was. Oh, his arm, my man. life, man. But we're trying to load the gear out into the van and there's fucking chairs flying everywhere and it was just <laughs> like... Wow, you know, but it was, it was wild, yeah. It was, you know, and a lot of those gigs were were like that, you know, back then. I was going to say, you mentioned the uh, Discharge. What were the other very popular bands of that time? When didn't... See, I'm just... Napalm Death, Extreme Noise, Terror... So were they, they, they were more like late 80s. L- late they, 80s, yeah, okay. they came out of the sort of... You know, the big the big bands for me in, in the early 80s would have been Discharge and Crass. They were the two they were, yeah, cornerstones yeah. for me, but... Did they invent... Did, who was the first... What they call it? D-type? What they call it? Um, Discharge were yeah. like the first sort of... So Discharge get they, the crown for that? They called it the... D-beat, didn't they? D-beat, you know, yeah. Is that like um, Undisputed Discharge uh, were the first to do that? Or well, is there a bit of... Come on in. Who's, who's, mm-hmm. I, mean, if you, I mean, if you go looking for a D-beat, yeah. I think there's a D-beat on the first Buzzcocks album in 1978. Okay. But, but Discharge just took it and boiled it down, stripped it back to basics. That was probably the only beat that Tez could play at the time. Okay. So he just hammered it. You so know, when, would the exploited be a DB? The exploit, no, the exploited were at the, of the same era and. But when they the same sort of style, sort DB, of. A, it was yeah. The exploited were more sort of a straight, straight punk sort of thrashy. You know. Uh, okay. 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 Cool, man. But though you know the bands back then, you had like, well, you need to go and buy my first book. <laughs> I know, and I'm into it. Yeah, Burning Britain, but um. It, which was named after the a Chaos UK single. So Chaos yeah, UK yeah, yeah. Chaos UK were a big band and the whole of that Bristol scene, Disorder, Lunatic Fringe, Amoebics, you know. Um, but you kind of had like the Chaos Punks and the Peace Punks or, you know, like the Studs and Leather Brigade and the Anarcho Brigade. And it was tension between the two. So you'd have Conflict slagging off Exploited, Exploited slagging off Crass, Special Duties yeah. slagging off Crass. I actually liked both styles of, of music yeah, yeah, like you know yeah. I just I just loved just loved punk music was it really. friendly was it an, real animosity or was it friendly rivalry like I think I think there was some genuine animosity there you know um, but then you know legend has it that when they did bump into each other at gigs it was all cool but on um, records yeah. on record they would be slagging each other off in the lyrics as well printed on the lyrics leave so Special Duties did a single called Bullshit Crass so they were quite specific yeah. <laughs> you know what they were saying um you know and and conflict did a song called exploitation about the exploited holy you know, moly moly man you, like, you see i wouldn't have ever wanted to piss Watty off man jesus yeah he looks kind of nuts doesn't he man <laughs> yeah, and he, you know, he's he, massive on all the geezer isn't he yeah, yeah, yeah. but you played in quite a few bands in it um before we get into that how did you get into playing bass then? How did that come about? So did you just see all these bands and you, you was like, I want a piece of this? Well, the thing is with, with punk, it's very self-empowering. So, 
you know, all the bands were saying, you know, get a guitar, start your own band. Kind do, of like now, isn't it? Do, you know, do, yeah. your, do your own fanzine, become your own media. It was all very, you know, you guys, good, you know, they, they broke down the barrier between the band and the audience and stuff like that. And that was what was so exciting about it was that anyone could do it no matter how badly or little you could play and um so me and mobs who i was in stamping ground with who's my cousin holy shit i never knew yeah that. yeah so he okay. he was he he had a guitar and he could play a few chords and we wanted to start a band and i was like well you've already got a guitar and he was like well you're gonna have to play bass so i borrowed a bass off a guy and mobs showed me how to tune it and showed me able to figure out where the root notes were to the chords and stuff like that and we just you know i mean we were terrible oh yeah that first, <laughs> that first, the very first band you know what was the first band called ammonia 77 oh that was so yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. um who, who came up with that name man yeah i did <laughs> i think <laughs> no no I, no i don't know a, a band called covid no i didn't actually come up with that i was um i think a singer at the time but the i think like our second gig was a big riot and um a load of hippies come in and one of the punks got stabbed in the forehead with like a, an umbrella and um fucking but <laughs> I, sounds nuts, mate. I can remember standing outside that gig because we didn't have tuners back then and i i couldn't tune the guitar so mobs would tune my guitar for me okay. so we stood out in the car park in the quietest place possible we could find yeah. pushing their guitars up against a wooden fence because it vibrated a bit oh yeah, yeah. Trying to tune my bass up <laughs> before we went on stage, like, and um, by the time mean, you get to the stage, it's all out of tune again. Yeah, you've locked yeah. it on the door, <laughs> and there's geezer walking around with a fucking umbrella hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that was a b pretty crap band. But then, um, but yeah, I, I became a bassist by default. We, you know, we needed a bass bassist. And did you fall in love with it straight away? It was just like, oh, well, I wasn't a natural at all. Okay. I mean, I've still, I still struggle oh. with it. Oh, really? And um, so I just practiced and practiced and practiced, practiced the runs over and over again. It, it wasn't something that um, came natural. And if I don't practice every day, then you quickly lose I, it. I quickly bit. lose the sort of speed in my fingers and stuff like that. So, so give us a quick rundown of all the bands in the eighties that you were in. Because so I've read there's quite a few. Sorry, so it was Ammonia '77, yeah, and then Decadence Within. Decadence Within actually went from '84 to '94. So oh, that wow. was long time. And then I quickly did a band called Burnside, which was a melodic punk band. Yep. Who played that infamous business show at the Water Rats. Do you know what? I was going <laughs> to ask you about that. So, I'm like, sorry, finish your band list and we'll go back uh, to it. Go on. And then, um, sorry, I don't want to kick that. I think our American friends would like to see this business show story and all here. Yeah. We're going to go back to it. And then, um, <laughs> then it was Stamping Ground. So we, I did that for eight years or something left that because i was like i'm done with bands i'm gonna spend some time with my family straight into another band um did suicide <laughs> <laughs> it's a thrash metal band called suicide watch yeah and then yeah I, I, then yeah. we did betrayed by many then i did a stint in freebase then 36 strategies oh i was in flux pink indians for a while jesus man <laughs> they were like yeah. a sort of anarcho punk legends in the early 80s they were okay. number one in the indie charts i mean they're Oh, song wow. tube disasters is what i you know was basically me learning to play the bass was playing that bass line wow, so that was man. like a real head fuck to play some gigs with them wow and then 36 strategies and then war wound wow man so, so going back to burnside right there was um 
I remember this because I think this was 1994. So it was a hardcore band called Burnside as well from the States. Wasn't yeah, it, it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. There is. So I think this show was in 1994 at the Water Rats yeah. and uh, Nicky Dust and our good friend, um, nice guy Phil, they went to watch what, the business. And I'll never forget the story. I think the next day I must have caught up with Nicky and he said to me oh my god oh my god <laughs> that's, that's, that's like me right? <laughs> yeah, it sounds the like craziest <laughs> shit happened last night man <laughs> I'm just picturing young Nicky yeah, 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 yeah. with his mohawk <laughs> I was at the gig and then next thing I know 30 40 kids rushed through the venue they started beating up everyone it was chaos the windows were getting smashed some geezer got his head kicked in. So um, he mentioned that Burnside was supporting, right? We were on when it out. Yeah, we were literally on. So Ian, right? This is... I like to hear this story from the start. So... Please, proceed. <laughs> yeah, so um, so I think Mickey Fitz asked us to play the gig. And, um, Rest in peace, Mickey. Yeah, and... Yeah, and it, I mean, he was very supportive of the hardcore scene and he was keen yeah. for the business to to lose some of their following and, and cross over, you know. And um, But yeah, so he offered us the gig and Tra- a band called Travis Cut, like a melodic hardcore band, were, were, um, were opening. Now, I don't know, there's all sorts of different stories about what went down. Um, but my sort of violence detector was like... You know, giving it all that. He's looking at the exit, so yeah. Well, we was, I was, we went over the road to get some food, and then we were walking back to the venue, and it seemed odd that loads of people who didn't look like they would be going to the gig were turning up in vans, and they were all on mobile phones and stuff. And I was like, "They had mobile phones in '94." Yeah, yeah, they, they, yeah. Oh, yeah. That the must have been the bricks, right? Bricks, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but like, I, like Star Trek and all that. Like. But it, yeah. it was still unusual to to see see it and I was thinking what's going on like you know something's definitely going down so I started to feel a bit jittery about the gig and um Travis and when we went in it was like a really hostile audience we played absolute silence between songs total <laughs> silence like pin drop silence you know it's like oh fucking hell, you know so anyway we finished and um silence and we're trying to get off the stage and no one will move to let you off the stage with the gear either. So you're trying to get your amps <laughs> off and just like bar- getting barged. And we're like, fuck, what, what's going on? Like? And um, we're breaking the gear down side of stage. And then we heard this sort of commotion. And it was quite funny. Well, it wasn't funny. <laughs> but it was strange because you looked across the venue and it looked like there was a tornado coming towards you because everything was going up in the air. And you're like, oh shit. So we could see that there was just stuff getting thrown everywhere and we could hear people shouting and screaming. And we were in a corridor and these doors got kicked open and all these guys marched in, like literally well, marched how, how in. How were they dressed? Were they casuals as well? Would you look like, in? You, you know, I can't really remember. Yeah, I was yeah. just too fucking scared. <laughs> and, um, so somehow we managed to get out this side door, but we still had all their gear. So I hid my two guitars under a parked car outside the venue and got away a, a singer ended up in the flat above the venue hiding in a cupboard oh, <laughs> you know. uh, someone's flat above the venue um, but we sort of had to like barge away at the venue and, and they were clearly there it was like two rival factions 
turned up to settle some scores at that gig. Oh, so it was nothing to do with the business or anything to do with that? No, I don't okay. think so. I think it was, I think I get the impression that it was two rival yeah. right wing factions. Oh, I um, there's a book, I can't remember what it's called. Um, there's, there's a book about the rise of the right wing in, in the UK, and I can't for the life of me remember who wrote it, a guy called Nick, and it's called White something. But they talk about this gig, and I think they said oh, really? it was it was like two factions who were disagreeing about the ideology of the party or whatever, and decided to have it out oh, at right. this gig. But I mean, you know, there's other rumours. You know, the business had played an anti-fascist benefit the week before, and they went to shut them down. And someone went, you know. So I don't really know what went down. All I know is that Travis Cut's drum kit was all over the high street just literally oh. symbols thrown everywhere and you know everything was everywhere wow yeah. and all the gear was kicked in and there was some kid lay on the floor and like a big pool of blood and this i was like oh my god he's never gonna survive that but i think he did nicky said he saw some kid get hit with a stand or something like cracked in the head like yeah, yeah. and then he was one guy was punching him repeatedly yeah he goes i'm surprised that guy's alive yeah, like, yeah. it was that bad and the till went from the door the till with all the money that went <laughs> so, so none of us got paid oh, <laughs> yeah oh, and it was one of those just get you know it was just terrifying at the time and you can laugh about it now but i, know, I mean yeah, at, yeah, at course, the time yeah. at the time it was like blood run cold fuck? kind of thing like you know and um but we got we went back we sort of went back about five minutes later and the police had arrived shut the road down my guitars were still under this car so i grabbed oh, them put them in the van like how long did it last for all together? Was it? It seemed like about an hour, but it was probably about ten minutes. But that's a long that's, time. That's the thing when it's it comes to like, like yeah. fight and riots and shit. Like you think it just it lasts like forever, but it's over within the blink of an eye. But ten yeah. minutes for like a proper yeah. fucking sounds like a fucking riot, mate. Yeah, that's it crazy. was. It was proper scary, and you know, and, you know, despite the martial arts and stuff like that, you know, like I said, I got I got into all that stuff because I I am a fighter. Yeah, do you know what I mean yeah, yeah. and um, you know so it's not you know you, we talk about that edge and that excitement at gigs you know I don't I don't miss it did the water rats stop doing punk annoy gigs after that well you wouldn't or, blame you wouldn't blame them if no they I won't blame them but they, yeah. were, they, were they naturally people start blaming the style of music and yeah, whatnot. Yeah. so I don't know if that had an effect on the venue at all or I mean really? I mean up airway every time there was a big fight at a punk gig that venue stopped putting punk gigs on yeah, you know yeah, so yeah. It, it, don't, it wouldn't surprise me. God damn, man. Everyone but... Oh, hang on. On Saturday the 4th of April at the Unicorn in Camden, Ruction Records presents Life Betrays Us, playing their last ever show. The pack lineup makes this a night not to miss, including London legends, 50 Calibre, the return of Crippler, Hardmind from France, Stonehand, Entertain the Terror, and Revoked. That's 4th of April at the Unicorn in Camden. Doors 7pm, £5 entry. So, like, um, I wanted to go... Obviously, it talks about the, you getting into the punk uh, oil scene and the rest of it back in the 80s I wanted to ask you like obviously there was no internet so was you aware of what was going on in the states with New York Harcourt and what was your first time hearing Harcourt from over the pond so so I used to get maximum rock and roll and um, you know flip side and 
you know those sort of magazines and stuff like that which oh, you could flip side you know that never heard of it so yeah, and, and yeah, maximum rock and roll although maximum, oh, yeah, maximum rock and roll yeah, yeah maximum rock and roll tended not to big up the sort of hardcore bands from new york and stuff like that um i mean i've it was weird i mean when i got into american hardcore i kind of got into metal first so i was like really into early metallica and early slayer and I how early are we talking so i i mean the first time i saw either band was 86 Fucking um, hell, man. the glory years so but you you would see them and they would have t-shirts on like coc and you'd think who's coc you backtrack yeah. to coc and i i can remember discovering animosity and i was like you know that's how i want to play bass yeah, you yeah, know yeah, so yeah. and you i was like a sponge back then and in fact decadence within that band was like a sponge yeah, yeah. so every time we heard something different i mean we sounded like a 10 different bands over 10 yeah, yeah, over yeah, 10 yeah. years like do you know what i mean so we were just absorbing influences all the time so what was the first hardcore band you heard from the states then like was it probably front or was it was it I don't I'm know. trying to think of the probably Bad Brains or something like that. Or, Bad um, Brains, yeah, yeah. Did it, did you catch any of them bands in the eighties when they played? Well, I, I saw Bad Brains a couple of times, but I didn't see them in their heyday. Um, I saw them once when they were amazing, and I saw them once when they just played a whole just a whole reggae the set. The Ruster shit, yeah, I heard about. This. Yeah, the yeah, rust, yeah, the weird Ruster shit. Yeah. yeah. Like they, they've gone to they turn up to a show, they're like, oh shit, I'm gonna watch Bad Brains, and they turn up and they're just like. They're all stoned, and they're just. Come on. But uh, yeah, I mean, but when you heard bands like Bad Brains and, and COC, you were suddenly like, you know, some of the, the UK 82 stuff, which you thought was ferocious, seemed quite tame. So it was like a constant race towards the ultimate. Who can. Which brings us to the. To your napalm death thing yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah. so sort of as as the 80s sort of escalated and ramped up and everyone was getting faster and faster yeah yeah then you saw you know you saw the emergence of napalm death and ent and stuff like that ah cool man That's i've heard fucking... i've heard someone like napalm death's demos from when they were a free piece um before really slow yeah 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 they, they were they were what, just like, like a no they were just like a punk band really oh okay yes it's completely like you if you heard it and someone said who do you think that is you got you, the last per, last band you'd think of would be napalm death when mickey harris joined he just completely because he yeah. was blasting on the drums but up until then they were more like like a me bix or something like that you know oh, just man. want to say real quick um yeah, cool. i've never got into coc but their drummer passed away recently yeah reed mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah so incredible talent as well it's a shame oh, they, yeah, yeah i don't know much about coc only the mid 90s stuff like they, oh when they went all thin lizzy what's like, that video that southern rock den, thin lizzy then decadent yeah den, decadent, yeah, yeah. That's when I came into them. I didn't even know they was really. I've never heard much of the really early stuff. Do you know the, what I mean? The, yeah, yeah. The first, the first couple of albums are, fierce, are just fierce, hard. Re, yeah, crossover, metallic, punk, still with some Sabbathy intros and stuff. So they're still doing that kind of stuff. And then their later albums in more recent times, they so they went into that southern rock kind of. And that's thing, when they but, really blew up. But then they came back towards that some of that hardcore stuff and crossover stuff as well they actually played Epafest, um what about five years ago four years ago the original lineup and it's sad to say no one cared like they had no one was watching it was a young it's quite a young crowd, a young crowd so 
Yeah, do you know do what's you mad? That? I saw a video of Poison Idea playing Eberfest. I think it was last year. Last year. And I looked, and there was a view from the stage. I was like, why is everyone not singing along? Like, Poison Idea are one of the best fucking bands in the world. Like, why? There's, it was like there were spaces in the audience. I was like, whoa. Yeah. But then I remembered I'm old. <laughs> they're young. Actually, that brings me to my next uh, point. Like, just jumping forward a bit, and I wanted to get your opinion opinion on this. Uh, when you look at punk and hardcore scene today, it's like two different worlds, like two different scenes. They don't mix at all. Whereas back in the 90s, we used to mix a lot more. I know we had to because there weren't the numbers there, but why do you think that is? When you look at punk and hardcore today and it's become so separated, in your opinion, someone that's come from the 80s, why do you think that is? Do you have an opinion on it or...? <laughs> You know, back, I think you hit the nail on the head of the numbers, really. I mean, back as the numbers grew, then, you you know, you, you could you could make choices, you know, and, and you, you surround, you naturally surround yourself with like-minded people, don't you? Because I certainly don't like being around negativity, you know, mm. it drags you down and stuff like that. So you surround yourself with like-minded people and, I, you know, I guess that's why that you know that the, the scenes have gone into silos but i mean i think one thing about the the modern hardcore thing and and i'm never i'm never going to say oh, it used to be better back in the day because i can remember when i got into punk in 1980 these punks who had been into it since 77 were like nah that ain't punk that ain't punk it it, it was punk it, you should have seen it back in 77 that was when the thing is you know everybody's got a frame that you know that they look out onto yeah. the world you know you know there's eight billion people in the world that means there's eight billion opinions yeah. and yours ain't the fucking only one that's right yeah. you know and it's like um that is definitely an old man thing and something that i've tried so hard not to do because i have been guilty or guilty of saying oh hardcore in the 90s is better yeah but then i just realized that was when i was yeah. getting into it that's when i was excited just but like anything kids man. getting into it now is mm. this it's is their, their time it's they their they reality yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. yeah they don't under, they don't understand a lot of what happened in the 90s or even maybe don't even know about it yeah. you know they don't need to know about it do they it's their their reality is now isn't it it's, exactly. yeah, it's exactly. their it's their issues it's their time yeah. now and who yeah. the fuck are we and it's but, and it's just i mean just to, sorry, to cut you off there it's no, the same as like watching football today it's the same sort of thing I mean yeah. growing up in the 90s watching football in the early 2000s that was the era that I fucking love football and I watch football now and it's you see I still love football it's not kind of the same how I, how yeah. I remember it so yeah. it's just one of those things man things change and evolve and shit like man I, I gotta say though I do miss I do miss the mix of punk and hardcore yeah, I and, do. and all that stuff yeah. I miss going to gigs I miss I just miss I don't go to punk gigs yeah, I, I mean, like, I, I don't go don't, to punk gigs, like, I mean, no, I and, we, and as I said, with Ready Iron Reduction, we do try to mix it up a little bit, like, get crust bands, get punk bands, we've not put on any oi bands as yet, but that are maybe the next thing that we want to do, and I think it is a good thing to mix bands up, because if you just have the same sort of genres all the time doing the same things, people go, oh yeah, that show's happening again, but it's the same sort of type of bands, and then they see another time, it's like, oh shit, this band's playing. You'd be surprised, man. People be surprised when they'd be like, I would never have checked this band out, but I see them play one night and then they become fucking big, massive fans of it. So, yeah, it's one of those things, yeah. man. I think there is still, I mean, there's elements of hardcore that really draw on punk. I mean, some of the stuff on like quality control, you know, some of those, some of those bands like Arms Race and 
yeah, farce and yeah. farce you know they they you know they're very yeah, yeah. they've got that Boston thing going on but they're also very punk aren't they you know yeah, yeah. shout out uh, who cares as well Willie's band yeah, yeah, yeah Willie yeah, Lee's yeah. band old school shit yeah but I have this conversation with uh, Nick from Knuckles all the time and he says the only thing that he puts on the young people is he feels like you need to do your homework you need to find out the history of the music that you're playing even if you're not into it just and I, I kind of I'm not saying kids uh, don't do true, that mate. But it's like, true. look at all this fucking trap and all this fucking shit. Like these mm. young dudes, they're doing. Every, I mean, it's different genres. They're doing their own thing in that bar. The level of disrespect that some of these dudes in the trap and drill and all this shit they have for the like for the biggies, dudes. And, yeah, yeah, this, yeah, this yeah. fucking is just. But as I'm saying, it's different areas. They, they need to find yeah. out about Cool Mo D. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so man, let's get to it, man. Stamping ground. Yeah. Yeah. 1995 you, you formed right yeah alright so the original members were you on bass Aid on drums no I mean the very very oh, first shit. lineup. teach me was me on bass uh, Mobs on guitar yeah uh, Paul Catton on vocals who went on to be in, he went on to be in Murder One and Medulla Nocte and stuff oh shit um, and a guy called Rid White on drums and their very first other guitarist was a guy Oh my God, I forgot his name. He <laughs> <laughs> wasn't that important. But he was a, lo- a local guy. Um, oh shit, I can't believe it. I forgot his name. Anyway, yeah, it'll come back to me. Um, but he, he lasted a couple of practices. So then we got Scott in on guitar. Yeah, yeah. Um, Scott played in a thrash metal band called Cambodian Holiday. Named after. And actually, Age was in that band as well, but we got Scott in first just because we liked his guitar tone. We did uh, we did a demo, which is like the, the most miserable thing you'll ever hear, that first stamping room demo. Oh, so, mate, I'd love to hear that shit. So it's, it's, so, it's so slow. It's like, because th- that, that, the modus operandi of that band when we started was we're going to be like the slowest, most bleak band possible. So we were really into like Crowbar, oh, uh, yeah. Earth Crisis and stuff like that. And we yeah. really wanted to just be devastatingly heavy and slow but it's just boring that's why we ended up that's why we ended up sounding like Slayer really he just got faster and faster but then the second demo so the drummer left and then um, the second demo Scott was like let's get Aiden so then we got Aiden on and um, then Paul left the vocalist so we'd already done two demos that's when we got Heath in and that was the sort of lineup, you know the first proper lineup of Stamping Room so how did you all meet though like well, me, me and Mobs are cousins, so we're, Cousin, we lived yeah, in yeah. the same town. Just, just, sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt you, you. just on Mobs, I have to say, right, I'm watching this programme called The Outsider. Are you, any of you guys watching that? No. It's on no. Sky Atlantic, right? So it's about this kid that gets murdered, right? They find the guy that does it, but the guy that murdered hit this kid was also in another, another town. Oh, it's a Stephen King book, isn't the it? Stephen yeah, King yeah, book. yeah, I've read the book, I haven't seen the series. Yeah. So I say, so basically, it's about this demon that can take on the form yeah. of other people. Mobs looks a spitting image of Nicky Dust Dad. <laughs> they look exactly. <laughs> Do you know what's mad? Yeah, Pierre fucking commented on uh, the fucking everyone but us fucking post that I put up. Yeah, and he said, "Can you ask him why does Mob look like Nicky Knuckle Dust Dad?" <laughs> No fucking joke. I swear to God. And whenever Stamping Ground played, we used to go, Nick, your dad's doing good, isn't he? 
guy killing them with. <laughs> and it was an ongoing joke, so I just wanted to mention that. But go on, yeah. <laughs> Mo- yeah, mobs will probably listen to this. So give, give him a shout. Shout out to mobs, man. Uh, so, like, oh, I've got a quick question yeah, right, about Paul's vocals back then because I was a very I was in a Medulla Nocte when they did like their first and second demos. Yeah, yeah. I first met him when I was like fifteen. And his vocals were really clean back then. He was doing like, they were almost a bit more of like a rap core band at the time. So I can't imagine, was he doing that style? Was he was he heavier style? Like? He was really shredding his vocal cords and right. stamping ground. And I, th- and I think he actually fucked his voice up and that's why he had to leave. He got like polyps on his throat. Or oh, something. Shit, yeah. oh shit. shit. But we knew him for, we knew him for, from the decadence within days because he came on tour with us in Europe and stuff like that and he was quite local to us and doing his own fanzine like we were all doing our own fanzines back there yeah because they were from like Hereford weren't they is that right yeah Hereford? yeah Hereford yeah, yeah. show anyway yeah yeah like, from the Shire from the Shire <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah because so we're saying so you, you've explained that half the band how did you meet uh, Scott and so Scott and Aid were in this band Cambodian Holiday yeah and um, so that you met them through knowing their yeah, band. so like, such a sick band. So we, <laughs> so we, and they were like a really decent thrash band, you know. And we, we used to go and see them. And, and like you said, back then the scenes were very there's a lot of crossover between the scenes. So you'd have a punk band and a metal band, Beautiful. yeah. And, yeah. We, and we, so we played with them, Decadence Within had probably played with Cambodian Holiday. Oh, right, and um. So we knew them, and that's how we thought. Thought oh, that guy's got a really good guitar. Saying that guy's a really good drummer, you know. So, so that's like X Factor. You were like, yeah, yeah. We were headhunting them, yeah, yeah. And then um, I can't quite remember how we got Heath because Heath was the one. He lived miles away in Bradford, and someone must have put him in touch with us or, or us in touch with him. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. when Paul left, I think we knew the style we would you know we were doing we were all already aping earth crisis really yeah, and we yeah. wanted a vocalist that could nail that kind of that style you know, and, and that's exactly what he did he was just perfect for it was it, like right? there was a, to actually start the band was it a, like i want to start a band i want it to be like this so the story right so the story goes got so, de- so decadence for them were on tour in poland and uh we went we had a night off one of our gigs got cancelled one of our gigs got stopped by the police before the gig even started actually um, they'd heard there was a punk gig on and they just shut it down. So we drove over the border to Leipzig to check this gig out and it was Snapcase, Earth Crisis. Oh man. Ooh. Refused. Holy shit. And real. Um, and they were all playing Coney Island in Leipzig. This was 1994. Wow. And uh, it was... Refused from Sweden? Yes, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And it was like just, just the most insane gig because um, this place was packed. The, it, Capacity was probably 600 people. There was probably 800. We, we, we played, played, we, we played there first, in March. First night at all. We played Coney yeah. Island. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, was, it, was it the same back then? I'm like, thinking Coney Island in like America. Like a, <laughs> that's why I literally yeah, yeah. said like, yeah. State Leipzig. Park and all yeah, that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, that's yeah. fucking venue. Yeah, so in Leipzig. And I mean, this is how jammed people were in there. So the guy from Snapcase ran out before he played the first chord. Yeah. So the drummer counts in the four count. And as he strikes the first chord, he backflipped into the crowd. Holy moly, man. Yeah. There's a lot of pictures of him off, off, off the monitor. And you think, you know, you, that's confidence. Either either there's so many people there they can't get out of the way. That ain't that famous Snapcase picture. There's a f- famous yeah, Snapcase picture yeah, of him flipping be, off yeah. a, doing a flip. But I mean, it was just yeah. that gig, just like we were, I think we were just kind of getting jaded with decadence within. And um, watching Snapcase and Earth Crisis, hearing the guitar tone, you know, seeing the intensity, we said, you know, let's go home and do something heavier. Yeah, yeah. And and that was 
st- that was stamping ground basically except we were going to be called second to none originally i can't remember why we didn't go with that name um, it was second to none from america there might have been so we that was, um, so we ended up with a song called second to none which we put on lil's uk hardcore comp compilation cd Big up to lil Big up, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want to talk about a real legend, UK hardcore, yeah, yeah. Lil, we'll hunt him Lil down one day. Yeah. Names, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Funnily enough, Catherine's just come up on my people you might know on Facebook. Oh, really? Yeah, but I don't, I don't know, I don't know whether to add her because I don't know. Last time she saw me, I was probably twenty. Nah, so she's cool. Fuck this geezer. She can only delete you, can't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the only good thing about Facebook is catching up with people yeah, you haven't yeah. seen for years. Yeah. So what was what was Stamping Ground's first gig? So I think it was, I think it was Bradford one in twelve. Um, we had this. Con- did we talk about one in twelve last? Yeah, I think we, we had about sheep on the last yeah. podcast. Yeah. So the one in twelve yeah. is like this DIY sort of yeah. legendary venue, and yeah. you know, and they've it's th- two or three floors, and they got a rehearsal room, a studio, yeah. a vegan cafe, and and this club, and we and we played there. Um, everyone who's anyone, it was on the bill. If I remember rightly, it was one oh eight. Abinanda 108 I really hate oh. that 108 what song was that Slapshot yeah. I, li- I like 108 man <laughs> yeah, yeah 108 the Christmas bands huh 108 the Christmas I love yeah, band. Yeah, I, yeah. I used to love 108 man yeah and Abinanda yeah. were on from Sweden Abina- yeah Abinanda yeah and, yeah. Uh, and Stamping Ground and then that's a sick bill man and then I think the second gig might have been there as well and I think that was with Above All Above All <laughs> yeah and maybe maybe another band I can't remember what year was Above All must have been ninety four. Well, they. So I thought above all was after stamping ground. No, no, they they um they had stuff coming out. Wow. When you know they were. You kind of took their crown, didn't you? Because really? they they I remember they was on MTV. They were getting all the good support slots. They was like blowing up, and then I don't know what happened. They just they, yeah. I mean, I think their their first seven inch I think was amazing. And they were great the first few times I saw them. I think I think maybe they overproduced the album they did for Roadrunner, and it didn't quite cap, yeah, yeah, capture yeah. their sort of their sound. Sound. Can you guys, Lewis and Steve, can you remember your first time seeing Stamping Ground at all? Can I believe my first time was at the LA Two with Pierre on vocals? So Heath got stuck on the motorway. Yeah. And couldn't didn't get to the gig, and we had a couple of people jump up. I think that was the first time. Oh, I saw shit! It. What? What, yeah. what? 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 Who was that? Was that supporting someone? Was, Sigurdl, wasn't it? was that Sigurdl? I don't know. It might have been that. Um, I can't remember which gig it was. We 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 did that. You played um, the LSU a few times, didn't it? Yeah, we did that Century Media gig there, didn't we? We stuck Mojo and Slapshot and Marauder. And was that a crossover too? I've actually yeah. got that written down, but I thought that was in '96. I didn't think we. I didn't realize that we knew you at that. I thought that's the first time I, I, I thought that was the first time I saw Stamping Ground. Your, your first gig was with us, wasn't it? Yeah, at the Laurel Tree, man. At the Laurel Tree, we supported. Uh, I can remember thinking this. Yeah. this lot are fucking good. This lot of shit. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> put one of their records out one day. I oh, know, respect, man. <laughs> Who's that lanky twat? No, with the lawn, why, has he got, why has he got such a little guitar? With the lawnmower guitar. <laughs> the lawnmower guitar sound. Do you know what? A quick story about my guitar sound because I used to have that the cab and I used to I've talked about it before I had a keyboard amp with a DI um, DI output coming into a vocal PA rack feeding the cab and I remember we'd done a tour with Stamping Ground oh, no. and something happened to <laughs> Scott's guitar guitar the guitar amp and he goes to me yeah can I, can I borrow your guitar amp? I'm like yeah so I showed it to him he's like oh no it's alright <laughs> 
Yeah. Nah, nah, fuck else saw me. As soon as he saw it, he was like, nah, fuck that. But yeah, the crossover 2000, that was in 96. That was, more, I thought it was with Marauder. When yeah, but I think Marauder did play, yeah. Do you remember Slapshot? Slapshot. Uh, Stuck Mojo, Spud Monsters, maybe. No, I don't think Spud I Monsters. Love, so love Spud Monsters. Do you remember a band called The Donuts? It was a oh, female. That, yeah, yeah, the, the straight edge band yeah. from Sweden, yeah, on Victory, yeah, yeah. Man, I mean, that was like, that show was packed, man. Yeah, we were lucky that in that it was one of those sort of right time, right place. You know, we just managed to get good supports. Looking back, I think people must have just been fucked off with seeing us on the bill because we were playing how everywhere. Did the, how did you get all the hookups? Just relentless networking. This is kind of pre-internet, right? So yeah, yeah. What was you doing? Just just not just being a nuisance. We were just you hear that band? We, we were it. just knocking on doors, ringing people up. You know, just whoring ourselves really. Would you? Do you think that's how you have to be? Oh, I like that. Do you think you have to be hungry for it, guys? Well, like, we were. Like, we were yeah, like, hustle, innit? You do have to hustle. Like some people yeah. get annoyed with it, like when certain bands get on certain bills all the time. But I, I don't know. Is it? I mean, if 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 your music is what people want to hear and you're humble about it and you just want to play because you want to play, I don't see a problem with it. But if you just want to whore yourself out for the big shows and for when the big bands or certain mm. bands come over, then yeah, it's kind of corny. Cause if you just want to haul yourself out for one particular show, but then when there's other shows happening, which are DIY and you don't give a but shit. But Stamper Gamble loads of DIY yeah. shows. You guys, well, that's it. Like, yeah. We yeah. would literally play, hustling. I mean, there was a, we would just play anywhere. I mean, I remember people would ring us up and they'd say, above all the pulled out of a gig in Kidderminster tomorrow, do you want to do it? And we, we did it. And there was like three people there. You know, and the, the, the promotion was a, a chalkboard outside. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so it was, you know, we, but we would play ev- anywhere and everywhere. But the, the one thing that we did is that, you know, we turned up and we, we gave our all and we didn't fuck anyone over. Yeah. So people wanted to have us back, you know, so we didn't burn any bridges with bands or promoters or we tried not to anyway. Yeah, yeah, um, these respectful ones. Yeah, yeah, you know, so we, we would just... Yeah, you know, so we, and then, so people would ask us back and if you, I don't know, you do a really great gig and no one was there and they'd say, oh, we've got such and such coming through in two months time. Do you want to do that? You just jump make on up, it. Make up for the poor turnout tonight. And we're thinking, well, it wasn't your fault, mate, but yeah, we'll do it. Everyone but us. Straight from the heart of London. So, um, going to your first seven inch, I think Wade us, um, I remember he bought your first, um, Seven inch. You had a, was it a, you had a red one and a blue one. Well, I'm try, I was trying to remember in my head uh, what it was. I know the first one was Dawn of the Night. Dawn of the Night, yeah. And Did it was you on, do two versions of that? So it was Brian Sale from Days of Fury um, Records up in Liverpool. Brian. We used to call it, it was Days of Fury. We used to call it Fists of Fury after <laughs> we after we seen him leather some guy at an Earth Crisis gig. In oh, Texas. really? Yeah. <laughs> what do you do? Smash him up. Um, but... Yeah, so we, did, yeah, that, I think he might have done it. You know, the first press was on like that brownie print and then the second one might have been I thought you saw, saw the red one, I think. Yeah, and then yeah. we, at the same red time one. we recorded that, we did another three songs. Oh, right. Which um, met from Too Damn Hype over in Philadelphia. Too Damn Hype, yeah. yeah, yeah. He put out a seven inch, which was the Starved seven inch. So they were recorded back to back, but they, Starved came out slightly later than... Oh, that's sick, man. Then um, Dawn and Night. And then we bite, picked up on both of those seven inches and then put it out as a mini CD. Yeah, yeah. 
which was part of the deal that you know they were going to do the do our album but they wanted to do the two seven inches as a mini cd as well that's great man so, but going back to days of fury brian man because brian was the first person that put out knuckle dust's little mini london cd like yeah, yeah so shout out to him how did you meet how did you meet brian how did, did he approach you we probably approached him um, i did yeah i mean we were so this was back in the days when you know i was writing a lot of letters you know and sending tapes out you know we sent hundreds of that first demo out probably <laughs> to, to our detriment yeah. uh, but the second demo was better i mean the second demo had the songs that were on those two seven inches on yeah, but yeah, yeah, but yeah. with Paul singing them instead of instead of Heath. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so we sent those out. So he, he might have picked up on that, you know. I remember listening to that first seven inch, and I must admit I could hear the Earth crisis. Of course you I could. Know, yeah, it's an Earth crisis. <laughs> I know you most get arcs about this a million times, but that riff, dun 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 dun, <laughs> I could hear the Earth crisis influence. So that was something that you was like, was and you that, into the whole vegan? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, we. Uh, I mean, I stopped. So I went vegetarian when I was thirteen. So nineteen eighty, I went vegetarian, um, and that was nothing to do with Earth Crisis. That was completely to do with conflict and flux of pink Indians and those bands. Oh, Might have been nineteen eighty one actually, but I think I was thirteen, fourteen. Um, then I stopped drinking in when I was twenty one. So about eighty eighty eight. And Decadence Within did some gigs with Youth of Today in Europe oh, at, at that time. And um, they they couldn't believe that this sort of punk band from England didn't drink and were vegetarian, you know, as yeah. well. But it was coming at it from two different sort yeah. of scenes, really. But, you know, I've never put an X on my hand. I've never Why said, is that? Cause did mobs used to have X's on his hand? No, nah, that oh. they would have only X'd his hand up to get in the venue. You know, ah, they that do. Was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. No, nah, I've never, <laughs> I've never X'd. Up. It's not. I don't know. I just never felt the need to. I didn't. I never really called myself straight edge. I just don't drink or smoke. Nah, that's fair. You know, it's just, that, just man. like. Um, I respect that. Yeah, it's just because I was a lazy drunk, and yeah. I just thought I've got to stop. You know, and and I smoked a bit of weed, but I didn't like smoking much. See. When I think about the 80s, what do you guys think? I think drugs, drugs, sex, rock and roll, most probably more drugs. Was there like any resemblance of a straight-edge scene in the 80s? Was there was it a thing? I know you said conflict, but was it a thing in the scene? I mean, there's a lot of glue sniffing and stuff in the 80s as well. It wasn't, <laughs> yeah. it wasn't so much. There was definitely wasn't much straight-edge going on. And it was, I don't know, yeah, it was a lot of drink and drugs and you know i mean so some was, wasn't much of like a straight edge no some of those early decadence within gigs were just carnage i remember mobs because mobs was the drummer in decadence within uh you know he, he ended up on guitar and stamping ground but he was i can remember doing gigs where he couldn't actually stay upright on his drum stool because he was so drunk wow man i you can't know, believe that sort of <laughs> just propping him up on this drum stool it was just a it was just a sensible thing for me because i was also like driving the band everywhere and you know it just it was just were you like managing the band then was it kind of you <sighs> I, I, no I mean that would be strong it up a bit but I, I guess I was like doing most of the organising oh, okay, um, okay. you know most I think most of the musical direction in Stamping Rain probably came from Mobs oh, you know, okay, I think okay. he he probably shaped the sound of the band the most and then I wrote all the lyrics and sort of come up with a lot of the titles and the concepts but it was really 
it was mainly me i guess it was chasing the gigs and stuff like that and then eventually we started working with mad and hidden talent and people yeah, as well just so i mean because you, your first album was demons run amok and yeah. then you started playing more and more like what was it is, when did when, when did stand began really start to pick up steam when did you realize oh shit this like, is actually popping off i think the the, mo- the moment would have been probably we had a song the death you deserve off the second album and it was on a, a metal hammer compilation like one of those cover oh, yeah, mate yeah, compilations yeah yeah, yeah 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 and it was really weird i don't know one one week we played in front of 50 people somewhere that mag came out with that cd on the front and the following week there was twice as many people there and there was a lot of like metal kids there and stuff and we were like oh, okay that's interesting yeah 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 and then you know with with the third album you know i think it got like i actually the, the split with knuckle dust got single of the week in kerrang didn't it oh, there you go see yeah. hey. and it was i think dave Grohl reviewed it get a fuck out of yeah you yeah will. yeah yeah and it got he- si- it got single of the week in Kerrang and, and again have you, got, have you got an article probably somewhere Aid or something will have it holy shit man um, I never knew that I'm sure it was Dave Grohl still um, shit uh, <laughs> and um, yeah. but yeah and again you know the next few gigs we did we, we thought fuck there's loads of young metal kids at the gig so I think it was just yeah, just an off it sort of blew up bit yeah, by yeah. bit organically um you know, and then that that third album, I think, Car from Empty Words, was the one where yeah, yeah it, that, it got, that's the one that really it got really good, really good reviews across the board, and we yeah. were really quite surprised at it. And um, then you know, then other pe- you know people started to ask us, would we tour with that. them and stuff like that? You know, and that's where it kicked off, man. Yeah, I guess it it did. I mean, it, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard looking back to think how you know whether we were actually popular, but we. No, you we did 100% all right, like, were, man, I can tell you, you that. Know. But, like, what happened, I have to say, this is a bit of a weird one, I have to say thank you, because there's one gig Stamping Ground couldn't play that I was happy they couldn't play, because Knuckle Dust got the opportunity okay. to support Warzone at the, I was talking, at the Underworld. Apparently, right. Stamping Ground was supposed to play, but for some reason you couldn't play. Do you remember, does that ring a bell? Well, we did some gigs with Warzone in Europe, I think you got offered the London gig and you couldn't do it. And then I think one of you guys might have suggested, oh, said, oh, Knuckle doesn't no, do it. Yeah, I will take, well, yeah, we'll take it's credit. Like we'll take credit for that, yeah. <laughs> so I just wanted to say thank you for that because that was like fucking a, something on the bucket list from, from my, me and the guys, yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, good, good. So like, what's what happened? So you guys were killing it and then all of a sudden Heath left. What happened there? Because I remember I just, someone said to me, have you heard the news? I'm like, what it goes like oh he's the stamping ground and I was like what the fuck because it just like came out of nowhere was there what happened there if you we don't just, mind talking about it yeah we just parted ways really I mean I'm really good friends with Heath now and oh, that's great man there's no there's no animosity I think I mean there probably was for a while when it happened because there always is when you know that bands are kind of weird and it? it's a bit like relationships and families and stuff like that and yeah. but you live yeah, yeah, we, you know, yeah, we, <laughs> we know all about that you know you live you live in each other's pockets on tour and we we did a particularly grueling European tour, I think, that took it out of us and everybody was at each Was there a throat. bit of tension in the band? Was there yeah, there was, there was a lot of tension. I can remember there was a lot of arguing backstage at a gig in Hamburg. Was there any headlocks putting anyone to sleep? No, no, no. No, no. no. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, so, yeah, that's, I, I only do that when I'm in my pyjamas. Oh, right, yeah. Um, yeah, so they... Um, 
yeah, I mean, and it, you know, it's just one of those things, and it probably could have been handled a lot better. And, but yeah, we had a, a big falling out at a rehearsal, nah, and man. you know, and then we were looking for a new singer, and we tried some new vocalists out, and um, we tried three or four out actually, and then you know got Adam in, and it, he seemed to fit. I was going to say because we had this, um, you know, back born from pain. Yeah. We had Rob, who, who was the bass player and ball from Paint for yeah, a long yeah. time. And then the singer Shay left. And then they had an issue whereby you've got this guy with an iconic voice. And then you're trying to get other people in. And then, you know, like the fans, I don't like to call them the fans, or the people that listen to your music don't. They lose that, you lose that connection. That connection. And he, he was saying he took over on vocals, but it took them a long time before people started to accept that he was now the vocalist and now they've kind of got back to where they were before yeah yeah with Adam I would say you guys were lucky because Adam came in and literally killed it straight away didn't he he just fit in straight away people it, like it was, or, or is it different from the no I think it was band? it was a timing thing I think um, in that we started to get a lot of press for that second album which was the first one Adam was on so you know you had a lot of new people getting into the band who probably backtracked to the first record but they weren't carrying any baggage from the first record you know as far as they you know the guys that checked us out because of a review in Metal Hammer or Kerrang that was the first time they'd heard us if you so, know what so I mean. when Adam got in the band how quick was it before that album was that album written before he got in? It was, um, we'd started writing Expression of Repressed Violence, but... Before yeah, he was in the band? Yeah, before he was in the band. So he, yeah. okay. But he came straight in and we had half those songs that he wanted to, you know, he needed to learn and then he worked on, on the second half of that album with us, put his stamp on it and stuff. But he slotted in, you know, perfectly, really, so, really quickly. Nice. So how many people did you um, audition Audition, probably. is that the right term? <laughs> or try out before Yeah, Adam. yeah, probably, probably three or four, really. Steve, why didn't you make it? What was, what was <laughs> it? <laughs> so, what was it about Adam that, like, you said this is a white guy? Can you remember, if you take us back to first hearing his vocals, and what was it about him that he was like, this I, is a guy? I don't think so much it was his vocals. It was just more his, um, his sort of drive. He was really... Hungry he really it. wanted to do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, he drove all the way up from Southend. Um, Essex boy. He'd learned yeah. a lot of the songs. You know, he. You know, you could tell that he really wanted to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that that was probably what what impressed us really. I think his vocals were great as well. Though, no, yeah, fair, he had good yeah. stage presence, yeah. man, and and yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, Heath's voice was like so savage. They were big. Yeah. They were big big shoes to fill and um i think on expression the expression album you know adam was probably conscious of that because he sounds a bit more like heath on that album uh, but well, then, then he started to, then i don't think he's trying to don't think he's trying to copy but i just think possibly because some of the songs have been written before he joined the band so he was given those songs you know but yeah. then when he stamped his own mark on it you know he developed his own you know personality and he like you said his stage presence was really good it came along really quick he was very confident you know I, I was watching um uh stamping ground at download festival in 2003 and i remember um that was my last gig with him is that your last yeah, gig yeah oh. and i remember adam i was watching adam and he was like 
he commanded the stage, man. I remember he had these two. He, he asked, well, was it a wall of death or something? Yeah, two circle pits going. Yeah, two side. circle pits yeah, yeah, going yeah. on. He had like this huge wall of death, and he just came on and absolutely killed it, man. And we were on like second in the day. It was like fucking half one in the you afternoon. You had like, <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> was, like, I've seen photos like, of that. Yeah. And I was like, fuck me. There was That's like, um, have you? Go and check it on YouTube, man. There yeah. was like what twenty thousand people. Oh, I maybe? think it was fifty thousand. They said fifty thousand. Yeah, it was. It was packed, Fuck man. You for that early in the day, but man. I was. Um, I'm so short sighted. It was like you, you, can, you can see, see the front two or three rows anyway. So yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Who was headlining that year? Iron Maiden. Oh shit, man! What was wow. that like? Yeah, all right. They they, <laughs> yeah, they they did their thing, you know. <laughs> Do you know what? The cool thing about these fests, I remember I played years ago, I must have played a Hellfest or something like that. I can't remember what it was. And I remember just that, being backstage and like 10, 10 yards away, I was like, oh, there's Slash. Okay, yeah. And then I remember being in the, in the, in the canteen that meeting and then, what's his name? The dude, Corey from Slipknot, was literally a couple of tables next to me eating. I'm like, oh, that's the dude from fucking yeah. we, uh, Slipknot. We did um, one of those festivals, can't remember which one it was, but Slayer, and we were sat backstage with Slayer watching the football. Yeah. And um, Aid... Oh, so you actually sat with them? Yeah, yeah, that yeah. So, so, and they so. were really, you know, they, and um, Aid had his picture taken with Tom Araya, and at the time, Kerrang did this sort of stalker sort of feature, and uh, he sent it in pretending to be Tom Araya stalking Aid from Stamping Ground. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He said, yeah, I was, I, you know, look who I bumped into. It's the drummer from Stamping Ground. Love Tom Araya. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing, man. Did you bump into any, like, who else did you bump into? Did you get any, like, wow moments? Like, oh, shit. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I was, I mean, I was a big Sheer Terror fan, so it was great to play. So that's real, isn't yeah. it? I'm talking about all these rock stars, and you mentioned Sheer Terror. Yeah, yeah. So to play their, to it was yeah. their last gig. It oh, was, right, yeah. well, their, before they reformed again, yeah. but their last gig, and it was Paul Bearer, and he was like on stage. It was in a festival in Belgium, and he's like, oh, so this is how it ends in a field in Belgium, is it? And, um, <laughs> Mark Freebase knocked himself out on the uh, stage, jumped on the, the barrier and tried to dive on stage and smashed his head into I'll the stage. I'll shout Yeah, Mark. Mark's locked down in Northern Italy at the moment, which is where he, oh, lives. Is he? he lives in Northern Italy. Oh, shit, oh, with a corona outbreak. Yeah, he's locked down over there. So oh, well, shout he's out on. To Mark. On April the 3rd, 2020, the EMOC Collective are proud to present Hard Mind. Support comes from Full Contact, Entertainment Terror, Nothing Clean and Eternal Discipline. The show kicks off at 7 o'clock. It's £7 on the door. Get there early though and put on your best mosh socks. That's at LSQ, 170 Belgrave Gate, Leicester. Anyway, so away from all the glitz and the glamour festivals... <laughs> there were some great like DIY shows back in the day like in Essex you had Unite Raiden Special Move in London you had like us lot doing our thing in Wales you had Public Disturbance on the south coast you had Six Foot Ditch in the Midlands you had Free Base then in Scotland you had what Divide Broken Oath what were some of your most memorable places back then playing oh, or memorable shows anything you can share with us I think I liked, I liked playing the Red Eye. The Red Eye. Um, We've talked about it many times. Yeah, everyone loves the Red Eye. There was a couple of moments there and I thought, this is like Air CBGB's. Yes. Because yeah. we played a gig there and I think it was when I put that Cro-Mags tribute album out. 
yeah, and yeah. the place was packed and it went off for every band and I just remember it was just a really just one of those sort of magical days like yeah yeah I still love that and um and the other thing that was good for me was I sold so many CDs at that gig it broke even at the gig oh amazing so it, it broke even at the launch gig and I was like you know wow. that, that was good it was a quite mad venue because a bar was proper like on the dance floor so like, it was kind of tucked away at the back but a, oh no, it was, yeah because you had the side of it it was just there around, but didn't it I'm surprised that no one ever smashed into the bar or anything because some of the quote shows in there used to get yeah. nuts, man. Oh, now it's the big fuck off column as well in the middle, wasn't there? there? I think yeah. in the red eye. Yeah, I think there was, yeah, because some, some of the photos on their expression album were all from that gig, I think. Oh, okay. And we're, we're all sort of on top of the crate and it just looks like an ace Carnage, gig. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How many and people could you get in there? I know probably a hundred or something. Hundred, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if we, I used to like playing the free butt in Brighton. That was, that was one of those places. I think again, I think that was like an free owl butt. shape. Was it called the free butt or was it? I don't think I, I don't, I don't know. But it was like Brighton, an owl, the free butt. It was like it was like an owl. It was an owl shape, <laughs> and the band were in the corner, furthest away from the door. And it used to get so packed and hot in there, it felt like all the oxygen had been sucked out the place. Oh, mate, yeah, and, yeah, you yeah. Know, and I can remember a couple of times, you know, Aid would almost like kick the door, the fire doors open. Because he was just going to pass that. like spew up in the car park after a set. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. I remember Aid used to have the biggest kit as well, didn't he? He had like a thousand symbols, man. I don't know how you fill it in some of these venues. Yeah, yeah that was the, the metal head in him. So, I mean, Stamping Ground is very much like this sort of two halves band. So me and Mobs were very much the punk guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's tended to keep it grounded? Scott and Adam, came, uh, Scott and Aid came from much more the metal scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so it's a good blend, though, isn't it? Yeah, it was a good blend. It was. It was. You know, the two two halves really complemented each other towards the end. I think. Nah, that's sick, man. I've been somewhere that you supported. Um, is it Amphax, Arch Enemy, Soulfly? Was that a one-off or was that a tour? So, they've supported Anthrax after I left. Um, in 2003 so, so basically Stamping Ground got bigger after you left it. <laughs> no. so it, we did we did the Soulfly tour when I was in the band oh what was um, that like it was alright I mean they, Max was a, a bit of a dick to be honest really yeah he had his own bus with him and his family on and then the rest that- of the band and the crew were in another bus so we were sort of hanging around with the crew and the rest of the band yeah. and Max was kind of very standoffish and you know I guess he was just getting mobbed by the public and stuff so he was just keeping himself to himself and his family were on tour with him and he obviously wanted to protect them from all that sort of madness so um how many dates you do with SoFly then i think it's probably like five or something like that it was all the sort of o2 type venues what's like what what, what's that what sort of 800 capacity or something something like that um yeah that sort of size you know the o2 academy kind of sort of venues i'm surprised that 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 they were playing venues that small because they were really big, weren't they? At one point, they, they were definitely like living off roots, pretty much, weren't they? For for the early part of Soulfly, at least. It was a good tour for us because those those kids that were coming to see them were really into aggressive music, yeah. and it was just going off for us. But I think a surprising tour for us was when we toured with AFI, oh, who we were did. like a really melodic hardcore band but you know they were really energetic back then they hadn't gone as sort of gothic as they did um we had no idea we were going to go down on that tour and they were just breaking big so they got booked into all these modest sized venues yeah and then completely oversold them all you know 100 people outside 
TJ's ah, in Newport. And, um, but they were great band to tour with, but, you know, their crowd were really into us as well. But ah, they, they, were, they weren't really DIY gigs, which is what you asked yeah. me about. No, but, but still, it's like... Yeah, yeah. I, can't, I can't imagine an AFI. Although they're, they're re- AFI's really early stuff is very punk, wasn't it, as well? Yeah, yeah. They, um, so Davey, their singer, was a vegan, and I had um, a shirt which was the Venom logo, but it actually said vegan, but it looked like the Venom oh, logo. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it was Edward from Good Life who gave it gave me that shirt. But anyway, um, and, and Davey took a liking to that shirt, and I took a liking to his Nerve Agents shirt, because I love the Nerve Agents. I'd never seen a shirt. So we swapped shirts at the end of the tour. Oh, that's brilliant, man. Which was quite nice, I suppose. It was like the end of a football match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I often thought, you know, I could sell that shirt to like one of... Yeah, you know, these wow. gothic fans of latter day AFI who think he's the Fucking messiah. Yeah, yeah, bloody <laughs> hell, man. Two, 2005, you could have got a mint for that. <laughs> so, like, we, we can't have a podcast and not talk about Blackfish Records, man. So, for those that don't know, obviously, you want, well, everyone listening to this is going to know that. You've won a label. I think you released over 20 CDs. 20, exactly, it was, yeah. 20, exactly. So, what was the, how did that come about? So I started it in 98 and I probably folded it in about, well, I folded it in 2003, <laughs> 2003 when I left Stamping Ground. So really it was, we were playing with all these really great bands who didn't, you know, have a label to put them out. So the, the idea was, you know, I could put their stuff out and then they could do loads of gigs with us and I could sell the CDs at uh, gigs which is kind of why I knocked I kind of knocked it on the head when I left Stamping Ground because it's like right now I'm not on tour and I'm not playing with all these bands Um, but I sold all my vinyl to raise the money to start the label wow man um, sort of bought not not them early seven inches yeah 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 I saw I mean I saw you must be regretting I sold yeah I sold like you know my Misfits Beware 12 inch and loads of stuff that you know sold it all then bought all that stuff on CD, so I still had the music, but I had a couple of grand left over to start the label with. And um, the first seven inch was going to—it was actually going to be a seven inch by Di, the Californian band. Oh wow! Okay. Um, but Casey went to prison, and they started asking they wanted an advance, and I said, "Look, I can pay for the recording, but you know, they—they they were quite a big band, and they sort of wanted some money for it." Um, and then I ended up. I saw Unite at Chinneries, I think we played with them or something. United, and, to United. And they yeah. were like amazing. And I thought, oh, I'm going to put these guys out. And it just went, it went from there, you know. So I've got a list of some of the bands that you released. So you had Freebase, Amadula Nocte, yeah. Unite, Underwall, yeah. Decimate, 50 Calibre. Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. They still haven't released a new, another CD since Have they that. Not? <laughs> <laughs> And then you've done the uh, legendary uh, UK hardcore compilation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've got that. Yeah, that was quite a big, like... It was all unreleased stuff as well. I wanted to do, like, all unreleased stuff. Um, I did a Light of the Morning mini CD. So that was the guys from Above All. And it was just kind of giving back because Above All gave us some really good shows. And then Tony started this new band called Light of the Morning. I know no one's really seemed particularly interested in it. And I... You know, I thought it was great, so I put it out. Um, yeah, and we did a couple of covers albums, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. which were benefits. Um, and that, again, that was the punk thing. So I was kind of, you know, we did like a, a Subhumans tribute CD, 
with loads of punk and hardcore bands on it. So you had Knuckle Dust on a Subhumans tribute CD. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. You know, yeah so yeah. it was there yeah. was lots of cross pollination between the scenes and which I which you know which was really healthy. No, that's fucking. I, I loved it, man. And obviously for me, you released our first Knuckle Dust's first ever album, Time Won't Heal This, man. Like, and that album's very close to my heart. Like, because not because it's like made me loads of money for anything like that but it just shaped me as a person do you know what I mean so I'm thankful for like you giving some someone like us like when we got art to do that CD it was like fucking blown away so man. you've, you've so, helped shape him as a person I hope you're proud of yourself <laughs> <laughs> but there's a quick story because we done a knuckle dust stamping ground split yes yes we did yeah yeah and I remember when that when we got um, when I got told that was going to happen, I was like, fuck me, stamping ground, this is going to be amazing. So we was like, right, we have got to get the best production we can because stamping ground's production, like you guys were always, your production was always really good. So we was like, right, so Ray, so Ray drum of knuckled us. He was like, right, I'm going to find a producer. A producer. <laughs> so anyway, a couple of days later, he finds a producer and he, he goes, I found this guy. He's got a 24 track desk. And at the time, we're like, 24 track, that's amazing, because we're used to recording on 16 or 18 tracks. So we turned up, and literally, it was this black dude. He was about 60. He looked like Aswad. You know the... <laughs> shine, shine like a star. And I walked in, and I was like, this guy is not going to have a fucking clue. And when we showed him what we were playing, he just looked at us like, we was like fucking being kind of, like we were Satan kids or something. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because when you listen to that CD now, <laughs> <laughs> the, um, I cringe a little bit. The production from Knuckle Dust is so bad. Is that that's the one where you can hear Ray's pedals squeaking as well? I was hearing much probably. The, the dude didn't know that he had to amp up the kid. He didn't know nothing about the music at all. But. At the same time, when I listen to it, it's like, um, you know, when you listen to something and it tells a story of a time. So like, but I, I, I was... Do you know what, as well, though? I, I kind of like that production, even though it was yeah. shit, it's raw as well, though. It's proper yeah. raw, and I always like that. I mean, there's a really funny story about that split. So the Knuckle Dust guys came up in the studio to do backing vocals with us, didn't you? Yeah, 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 and, yeah, yeah, I remember. You know, I probably shouldn't say this because it'll ruin the record for everybody. No. But and once you know this, you'll never going to, you can never unknow it. <laughs> but so that we, the song Pain is Weakness Leaving the Body, we're doing the backing vocals, but A, their drummer, who was like a claim, or he's shouting, spend the weekend with Linda and Bobby. <laughs> instead, I've heard this. Inst yeah, <laughs> instead of pain is weakness, leaving the body. <laughs> really? I've heard yeah. this. It's true. Yeah, Nicky told me this. Yeah. yeah. So, and then I think someone else joined in with him. So you've got half the people shouting, "Pain is weakness, leaving the body." Really committed, really <laughs> intense. And then you've got these other guys, mm. just as committed and intense. Yeah. Spend the weekend with Linda and Bobby. <laughs> and I can't listen to that now without. Can you yeah. hear it though? Can you hear it? Will you listen to it? If you I... listen to it hard enough, I think you can. <laughs> See, I'm, exclusive. I'm going to go home and try that. Exclusive, mate. I'm going to do that when right. I get home, man. Yeah. That's funny as fuck. <laughs> so, so what happened with Blackfish then? Like... So I, sp I got too ambitious. So I did like, um, I did a thrash metal tribute album. And um, I thought I'd better actually pay the mcps on this in case metallica come after me or something you know so 
it was all cover versions. So the what? The what? Like the MCPS and mechanical, the mechanical publishing. So when you okay. cover someone else's song, you're meant to pay some money so that they can, you know, get, oh, okay. get their yeah, due. Yeah. Is that a lot of money? Um, it was more. Well, I never paid it out before. Yeah. You know, and then I also got Ed Repco, this classic thrash artist, back at a retirement. Oh, sick. Paid him fifteen hundred dollars to do the front cover. Yeah, yeah, I remember um, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, just before that, I did an Instigators re-release with a thirty-two page booklet. So you went all out. So man. I was going all out, yeah. and we were we were spending money advertising and stuff as well. And um, just before that, as well, I did a release by Incoherence, um, who I think were from Watford actually. They were, yeah. yeah. And um, they split yeah. up as soon as it came out. They split yeah, up and went, yeah. went to I university. Was, yeah, so it didn't sell and didn't break even. So after that thrash tribute, I was just about in the black and I thought, I'm going to jump out I'm going to bail out now rather than dig myself into a hole with it. And plus, just after that, I left Stamping Ground and I thought, well, you know, if I'm not seeing these yeah. bands you know, and taking them out on tour and selling the CDs face-to-face. Because it's when you're selling CDs at gigs, you can break even quite quickly. When you sell them through the shop and everybody takes their cut, you know, yeah, yeah, it's, it's not difficult much. to break even. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So I just just did the honourable thing, really, and said, you know what, I've had a decent run. Put yeah, out, no, respect, put out 20 decent records. Are you really proud of it when you look back? Yeah, most of it. Are you allowed to say what you're not proud of? Oh, knuckle dust out. Split. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. So, so have you still got boxes of the Incoherence CD? No, no, they, they've all gone. Actually, Aston yeah. from Boss Tunage Records took everything that I had left. I oh, did have some stuff oh, wow. kicking around. Yeah. Um, but no, you know what? Every every single CD I put out, I wanted to put out at the time. Nah, man. So I, I was kind of proud of all of it. Um, you know, one or two bits and pieces that didn't come out quite the way you wanted. Yeah, them yeah, to do yeah. but that's you know that's hindsight for you like yeah so getting back to stamping ground like you release countless seven inches and what well how many albums four, uh seven album four album? four four, four albums, albums yeah. sorry what's your favorite out of all them albums car from empty words yeah because that is that the one that what why it's just you know that was when it all clicked it was just like a moment at a time like for me yeah 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 you know are you allowed to say what was your worst Nah. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a worse? Do you not, guys have a worse? Well, not really. I mean, the thing is, every album is where you were at at that time, if you know what I mean. I mean, the one I listened to least is probably the last one, yeah. which is the one that apparently sold the most, you know, the, oh, the, wow. the fourth album yeah. that we did. Um, but, you know, I just think, I think we overproduced it and we overwrote and overcomplicated some of the songs and stuff. Um, if I was going to listen to any of that stuff now, I'd listen to Car from Every Words. Ah, okay, man. How did that split with Northside Kings come about? Not split the, the cover album. I don't know. They they just wanted to do it, and they said, you know, we've got all these covers, and we like, well, we've got all these covers as well. So we just threw them all. Was that after you laid that Danzig? You seen that video? It's about the same time, I think. Yeah, it was yeah. quite good. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen that video? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what happens? He was standing. So he, he was just saying that, show, like. he was saying to Danzig when he something about like can you, why why have you put us on after you everyone's going home like they were late getting to the show or yeah something. yeah and then I think Danzig just Give him a took umbrage to it and he sort of went 
went like that and this geezer just you could see him just go red and he just went bang <laughs> do you know what when I, him, uh, <laughs> Danny, Danny I think the drummer punched, punched <laughs> him yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. when I first saw it I thought this has got to be like a guy that looks like Danzig but it was actually it was him Danzig, wasn't it, yeah. it was I'm surprised him. he didn't sue or something because you know uh, no uh, no shade on my American friends but they do like to sue in America oh, yeah. don't they <laughs> like do you know what I mean <laughs> fucking hell man so Stamping ground. It ended in 2003, man. What was the? Well, no, I left in 2003. I thought the band broke up in 2003. No, it went, they so went you... on for about another two or three years. I think. I think they probably finished in about 2005, 2006. So, okay, so can you just talk about you, you personally? Then, what was it? Was it? Did you feel it coming? Did you? Yeah, it, it was an epif an epiphany for me because I did a tour with Hatebreed and I did a tour with Soulfly, and we just had her daughter so she sat at home um and i i can't remember i think there was a crazy period where we did like 35 gigs over about seven weeks and i was never at home um and i just started to think you know what's well, so that how much do you, would you pay you was literally more or less full-time with dumping ground well the the, the Busiest year, we did about 120, 130 gigs. Fucking hell, um, man. That was when I was in a... They got busier after I left because they sort of hit the road full time but didn't write any material. They just went on tour. So they were making a living from Stamping Ground? They were trying to make a living from Stamping Ground. And when you was in, was you, was you working and... We were all working. It took a lot of the pressure off. You know, we were all working. So you keep the wolf from the door with your day job. It didn't matter if you didn't get paid for a, a gig or whatever. Um, but I just... I can remember sitting backstage very miserable thinking I should be at home with my daughter ah, and I, I yeah, and I was thinking yeah. I know I, you know I know I know the then you know the staff at this venue better than I know my own daughter because we yeah. rocked through this venue three times in three months yeah, yeah, yeah. you know and I was like oh, I sent right yeah. so I actually said to him look guys I'm done I think the next day there's a phone call like, oh, you, you, you've got the main stage at download. And I'm like, fuck that. I'm doing that gig. <laughs> yeah. So I said, I'm doing that gig for sure. Because yeah, yeah. that, it, you know, that's, it's all built fitting. up to that gig. Yeah, so yeah, I, so yeah. that was the last gig I did with them. Did they try and convince you to stay? No, no. I think they were all really reasonable about it. They could see oh, cool, the man. reasons for doing it. Um, you know, and, and I, I seem to remember helping train Ben up show him the, the riffs he done a good job man Ben yeah 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 and, they, and they, they carried on and then I think Mobs left after a, maybe 18 months yeah, yeah, yeah. and then they got maybe a guy called Paul in I think or someone yeah they carried on for maybe another year touring and they toured hard they went all over Europe they, yeah. that's when they did Anthrax and Arch Enemy oh, and stuff wow, like that okay okay I think they toured with Emperor and stuff like that I don't know okay and then when did uh, Stamping Ground officially call it a day I think they probably split in about 2005 2006 and then Adam went on and did Romeo Must Die yeah, yeah, with, yeah, with yeah, Adam and Paul I think and Scott went in you know went into his sort of sound engineering and stuff did um so was there any when they they reformed for that was that what's it called that, what's that Sonisphere Sonisphere did they yeah. um did you was you tempted to come back or well I mean, I, I had a conversation with Adam and I wasn't interested at the time. Um, did they try and beg you? Do it. No, they didn't beg. They just said, you, you know, you're going to do it. And I'm like, no, don't want to do it. And, it, you know, it was a little bit of bad feeling because I was like, I said, I, you know, I don't want to give it my blessing. You've got no founding members in the band. It didn't really feel right to me. But, you know, they went out and did it and, you know. 
Trigger's uh, broom. What's that? Trigger's, Trigger's broom. broom. Yeah. Uh, okay. No, it's interesting what you said because Jeepers Boom, what's that? He don't get it. Trig- you he? don't get it. It's Triggers. an only fools and horses analogy. Triggers broom. You know, triggers trigger goes. This broom. I've had this broom for eighteen years or something. He's, he's had. Yeah. He's had ten oh, angles. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. My bad, yeah. Triggers sorry. broom, like yeah. I was. I supposed to laugh then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. Just tell like. I didn't even look like. Yeah, got it. Has he? I got it now. It just hit like. me. But yeah, there was. Yeah. There was. <laughs> I guess there was a bit of tension at the time, but it's you know we're we're all past that. We're all friends about it and all chatting and stuff again. It's all good. But it's interesting you say that because I remember at a time on Facebook or something you put up a post saying I'm not something. I'm not in stamping ground. Stop asking me. I'm not. Or I'm not dealing with an union or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. I don't know nothing about it or something. Yeah, a lot of people are messaging me saying you know just is that pissing you off. A little bit. Not in a bad way, but you get yeah, a bit annoyed yeah, yeah. with it. I mean, I just thought it's probably best if I put something out there saying, look, I ain't involved in it. You know, that's... And and, and maybe that statement come across as a little bit terse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Terse. I must admit, I saw it and I thought, oh shit, there's a bit of beef going on like, or something. Yeah. Like, yeah, but like, you know... It wasn't like... Yeah, I know, It yeah. wasn't like Cro-Mag's beef or anything like that. <laughs> <you know? laughs> no, I just wanted to like, to, to clear that up. Ever get the feeling that you fucked with the wrong person? Well, here's that feeling squeezed into 31 minutes of audio violence. This is Cold Hard Truth with their new album, Intimidation. Available for you to stream from all the usual places and to own on CD from Ruction Records when you visit www.ruction.com. And just remember. I know where you fucking live. We can't end it without talking about your books, man, and your work for t- what? Terrorizer. Terrorizer magazine. So you've released five books. Uh, I've got them written down here. The day the, the, day, the day the country died, and my phone's just jumped over. The, yeah, name the books. <laughs> <laughs> the day the country died. So Burning Britain was the first one. Oh, Burning was the yeah. first one though, then, right? yeah. then the day the country died yeah, yeah. then trapped in a scene yeah then armed with anger which, which was, is one I read yeah, yeah. difficult 90s book yeah um, and then some weird geese on the front cover yeah 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 and then um, contracting blood which was a UK thrash metal book yeah I saw that that's, just, that's come out just last year yeah, right yeah yeah and so the one I'm working on now is called the scene that would not die and that's that, sick and that's the punk scene from 2000 to now so it's just kind of bringing it to a so like, like really, a conclusion. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So the question I've got to ask for you, like, is how do you can you guys even begin to think how you write a book? Like how No No Like can't even read. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> how? How do you put a book together? You just you just start. You just it's but, just baby steps really. You yeah. Know. It's um I mean each one take took about two years to do. You know, so you do a lot of interviews, a lot of editing a lot of a lot of editing a lot of proofing Do sourcing you, material and shit yeah, like this yeah. And, yeah when you get these celebrities and they write their books they get someone to write they, they just sit in a room with someone they talk and then someone like gets all writer. their shit yeah, and, 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 and puts it together did you rearrange it or did, some, did you give it to someone else to rearrange no I did it all wow man look and I pre- come on <laughs> man. come on man it's called DIY mate <laughs> so no I even proofed it you know, and, and sort of wrote the blurb for the back cover, wrote my own press release. Yeah, yeah. You know, just did, just the thing is with Cherry Media, Cherry Media, 
Cherry Red, who did. Yeah, that's a, who, they're, they're the ones. So they did yeah. the first five books. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, I spoke to other companies that would have paid me more money to do it, but Cherry Red gave me complete, cre- you know, artistic, creative control. So you really enjoyed working with him? Yeah, yeah. And did um, am I allowed to ask? Did the book sell well? Did you? Are you a, mil- a millionaire? No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I you know, I'm not going to lie. I went on holiday off the back of it. Why a not, few man? Times. Fuck's yeah, sake, yeah. yes. I mean, Burning Britain sold the best, and the, f- the day yeah, the country yeah. died, you know, um, and there's sort of been diminishing returns. You know, the the 90s book was a hard sell. Yeah, yeah. Why um, do you think that was? Because I pee on the front cover. <laughs> <laughs> I <Yeah>. think. Um, <laughs> I mean, the thing is with those. 80s books I mean the whole reason I wrote those books was because I was writing for Record Collector at the time yeah. and I was reviewing all these punks these books on UK punk and they were all about the Sex Pistols and the Clash and I was like when is someone going to write a book about Discharge and the Exploited and GBH because yeah. to me yeah. we talked about it earlier didn't you you know your own moment you know that was my punk yeah yeah because that's all punk is isn't it it's just in your head isn't it it's you know your frame of reference, your perception and attitude and stuff. And my punk is better than your punk, obviously. But, you know, <laughs> that's what people think. But my punk was the early 80s. And I'm like, when is someone going to write a book on this? And in the end, I thought, I'm just going to write it myself. You know, that's, so that's, I wrote the book I wanted to put on my own shelf. That's never brilliant. thinking, never thinking it would sell as, so as well. It, but as, as it, did, but yeah. it really chimed with people all around the world because I've had like messages from all over oh, saying oh man. this is the book i've been waiting for you know why hasn't anyone done it sooner uk 82 which is what that sort of scene became known as yeah, yeah. um you know was was this you know my moment as well so it just yeah it was just coincidence really did you write any stories or anything about certain individuals where you got a bit like they weren't happy with you or was you conscious of that was you a bit worried about upsetting people i didn't really think about it in the first book but some of the other books you know we had to change stuff and people you know got sort of shirty about stuff and what you find with bands is um you know you talk to one guy who says it happened like this you talk to another guy who says it happened like this and you talk to another guy who says it happened like this somewhere between the three accounts is probably the truth Mm -hmm. and what i try and do is sort of put all three accounts in you know um Mm -hmm. but then the other thing i always do is send it to the band say read this through are you happy with it is it correct? Because the last thing you want to do is it go to print and they say, oh, you spelt my mum's name wrong or whatever. Um, and and you had a couple of bands, like one member wanted to have the final say and then another guy, you'd give it to the other guy and he'd say, no, 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 put my bit in again. You give it back to the other guy. He's like, no, take his bit out. And put my <laughs> so what so do you do in that situation? You, you, you just cut, uh, in the end, I took it all out. There was a couple of bits where I thought, you know what? I'm just going to remove all of that story. Do you know what? It's funny, right? There's six people in our band, but I'm always right out of <laughs> all of us. It's uncanny. I ain't saying fucking nothing. <laughs> so, uh, how far are you with this last book? Are you? Uh... I'm up to. I've written about 160,000 words, so I'm about halfway through. They're wow, all man. they're all big books. They all clock in six, seven hundred pages. So, do you lock yourself away in a room and do you just? 
I mean, a lot of the first book was written at four or five in the morning because I was having this insomnia at the time. Oh, wow. So I, w- I was writing it before I went to work and stuff. <laughs> Should we try and go through some of the questions? Yeah, just, let's do yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Just, yeah. Are you all right to stay? Yeah, yeah, I apologise. I could talk a, la- a glass. No, I love it, man. No, I, great, I, man. The thing is, when we do this, I don't, I want to get, I try and cover much of the story as possible. All right, first question is from our good friend, Jimmy Ferrari. He's actually part of the Brooklyn Blast Furnace and he's one of our sponsors. Well, he is our sponsor, Brooklyn yeah. Blast. No, uh, Dark, Dark Satellite, Satellite Media. Media. Yes. Yeah, yeah, shout out to him. Anyway, man. this isn't Dark a question. Satellite Media. Media. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't a question, it's just a statement. Stamping Ground's cover of Where Have All the Boot Boys Gone is one of the hardest songs ever and my favourite track off of the worldwide tribute to the world, the worldwide tribute to Real Oi Comp. That's amazing to hear. I mean, we, me and Mobs grew up, we loved the Cockney Rejects and it just seemed so bizarre stamping around to cover the Cockney Rejects. But on Ochromag, we did a cover of Jerusalem by One Way System and it was a hidden track on the second album, Expression of Repressed Violence. Oh, dope. Cromag heard that, and he was like, oh, these guys are into their UK punk. Oh, so that's why he asked us to go on that uh, tribute to Oi. That compilation really nice. fucking hard. We listened to, I listened to it a few weeks yeah. ago at Mansions, like, and it's like, hearing that stamping ground sound over an Oi track is like fucking... Yeah. And we did a Slaughter yeah. and the Dog song as well, I think, and we butchered it, and I, I mean, <laughs> I've, I've, I've never forgiven myself. <laughs> <laughs> what we did to that song oh cool man that's a good question man okay I got a question in from Nick which says any chance of the Blackfish uh, back catalogue making his way online yes so I think it's all on Spotify oh, I think it? yeah it is yeah I think it is up there all on Spotify um I so, might stand to be corrected. I'll, I'll check it out when I get home, but I'm pretty sure Aston from Boss Tunage put it up online because I that, didn't know how to do it. <laughs> is there, so there's a Blackfish page on Spotify, right? I think it's or, all up there. I don't know if there's okay. a Blackfish it, page. It'll be all the search. individual bands. Ah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you've yeah. got to search them individually. That's it. Um, we've got, I think you know this guy, Darren Big Ed White. Do you know him? He's got a big head, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, like, to think, yeah. I think he's. Uh, yeah. I, think, I know Danny Evans if he knows him. Like, was one of like. Oh yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's up? But he basically just says, "Tell him he's a legend." Simple as. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I appreciate it, and I, you know, I, you know, I feel the love, but I don't think of myself as a legend. Look, I just man. think I was there doing what I wanted to do, and I, it was just part of the time and we were all legends together look I, I, I've got I, to say I don't this. think of myself as a legend either but you know, <laughs> some people I just want to quickly say this before you continue on with the questions like yeah of course for me like when people talk about hardcore they talk about you know New York hardcore and stuff like that which obviously obviously is very important to all of us but people like yourself and other people that help build the UK scene I feel like oh, that's why I've done this podcast because I want to give them the flowers do you that's know what true, I mean man. I want to yeah, say this guy true. was or this band was important this band played this part do you know what I mean so just giving props I just, it, I like, just want to <laughs> no, but, but you know what I'm saying like because I know you don't, you don't want to say it but Ian you played a very integral important role man I, let's I not mean, play it down you uh, did Okay, and a lot of people have been saying, "Get Ian Glassbourne on, get Ian Glassbourne on." Like, I mean, I I appreciate it, and I'm I'm glad that I help people along the way. But you know, it's like a lot of the stuff I did for my own gratification. You know, like writing for Terrorizer. You know, I liked that band. I wanted to get them in the magazine, and you know, afterwards you can see, oh, actually, yeah. So I did help them reach a wider audience or something like that. But 
you know, it it does make me feel uncomfortable when people say, "Oh, you're the Godfather of UK." I'm like, <laughs> Do you want your queen to decide? Yeah, it's it's like I mean, I you know, essentially, I'm like quite a shy, retiring kind of guy. Oh, really? like, yeah, so but you know. It's better to be people to give you props and to. He's blushing right now. To give, you, <laughs> to give you a load of grief, do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's good. I'll I'll take it. Yeah, thank. Let you. your kids listen to this podcast, and they'll be like, "Oh my dad's cool, man." Like, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, just to finish off, um, there's a couple of questions which are kind of pretty much the same, but it all revolves around one thing, and just basically people asking what you mentioned earlier on about shutting it down in a post, but. Some people are wondering, will a reunion ever happen? Of stamping grounds. Of stamping grounds. So, so I wasn't ready to do it in 2014. It is 20 years since Car from Empty Words. Or <sighs> am I, am I going to have to edit in a drum roll here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's unlikely, but where it's more likely than it's ever been. I mean, me, Mobs and Aid are jamming, and we're jamming a lot of old stamping ground songs. What, wow. I, what I'd like to do is just get the five of us in a room to jam that album for old time's sake. Yeah. And there's two yeah. reasons I want to do that. One is because we were all friends and it would just be good to do it again. Exactly. Mm. Uh, yeah, beautiful. And, and the other thing is we're all alive and actually capable of doing it, which is something to celebrate because yeah. a lot of yeah. my friends Definitely, man. are like either wasted, or, you know, or, or arthritic or dead or whatever. So the fact that we can do it maybe is reason enough to do it but honestly i think if we did it it would be for the five of us for fun in a rehearsal room you know it was a special time it was a special time for us and you know that's why i'd like to jam it and say fun. you feel of it first yeah you know yeah. and you know who knows what could happen but i mean like i said me ada mobs are kicking those songs around in a rehearsal are they tempted to do it are they tempted to well i mean they sound killer i mean we we would yeah. do we were doing it for fun just to keep our chops up yeah, yeah. um you know and, and aid hadn't played drums for, for a long time and mobs hadn't played guitar for a long time but yeah, it's yeah. like falling off a bike we started playing some of those songs and we knew where all the stops and starts were yeah, and, yeah. and we we're all grinning at each other and it was fun oh, that's beautiful man yeah you know so i think first and foremost it's just got to be you know a, a fun thing to do because yeah, yeah. you know it, sometimes it can be it can seem awfully calculating when people do these like we, reunion we, yeah. shows is it, is it popular yeah. at the moment I see, yeah, if, yeah. I see I don't know if Adam listens to this or not I saw to Adam now and again on Facebook we always chat now and again I, mean, we're, I haven't spoken to for a while we're, yeah, all, yeah, we're all talking and yeah. you know we're all on good terms that's beautiful um, that's great so I think we are all going to jam together can I, can I come watch? Just to celebrate the 20 years. <laughs> but like I said, it's to celebrate the fact we're you know all what? alive, you know what I mean? So, um, but anyway, yeah. We'll we'll end up, but I'm going to say quickly, Warhound. Is War it, Wounds. Is that, War, War Wounds. Do you know what I'm thinking of? That, um, <laughs> there, is a, there is a band called yeah, Warhound. Yeah, yeah. It? it's just talking to write in War books. Wounds. <laughs> I'm going to write a book on Wayne Wounds. I'm just going to say, right, I get everything wrong. Everything like Fuck names everything but um <laughs> we've, we've got a new album right and one of our songs is called Crazy Old World yeah and I thought was like, it when we were on tour yeah. he just goes are we playing Crazy Town tonight <laughs> <laughs> but to end the podcast um you guys no you guys broke up in January right so um 
And but you've got a new album coming out. So to end the podcast, talk about. It. So I mean, War Wound was not Hound, no, nah. no, not Hound, not, <laughs> not, not War Hound, not Whore Hound, no. <laughs> War Wound. Um, so Damien. The guitarist, it was his band in the early 80s. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then he went into the Rukers and Sacrilege. Um, and when he put Warwing back together, it was with a new lineup because he sort of the other guys hadn't played for a long time. So it was an honour to be asked because I love Sacrilege, I love Rukers. So it was great to get into that band. And it was one of those bands where the chemistry between us was really natural and immediate. And we really locked in on stage. So it was a great band to be in. And the, the mix the sound we created was like a bit of punk, a bit of hardcore, a bit of metal, really intense. Um, and, you know, we, we toured America three times. I mean, we went all over, you know, and had a great time with that band. Unfortunately, Damien had to stop playing live because of personal issues. Okay. Um, and there's no, literally nothing we could do about it. And, um, and we were like, what do we do? He's the only original member. He's the founding member. Um, he gave us his blessing to carry on, but we just didn't want to carry, on, carry on without him. And um, But we'd recorded the new album, and luckily it's the best thing we've recorded. Awesome. So it's great nice. to go out on a bank. at the peak of your powers, you know, and not sort of get slower and slower and a sort of parody of yourself sort of thing, you know. I just had an idea. Stamping Ground Warhound, combined gig... Final ever gig. Someone said, "Why didn't you, why it just be war ground?" <laughs> but um, no, I mean, we, so war wound, you know, won't happen without Damien. But the new album, you know, it's it's a really brutal album. You know, it's, oh, wow. it's a brutal punk metal album with really, you know, I'm really proud of the lyrics and the art and and everything on there. So. I'm going to look out, man. So shout out to War Wound, man. And man, the other yeah. shout out we need to do, sorry, no, is on, Son of the Endless Night. So Aid, the drummer from Stamping Ground, has got right. a thrash metal project where he plays all the guitars. Yes, you said. So, so he asked me to play bass and do lyrics and Psy Cobb. Where can they find that? So that's on an Italian label called Punishment 18. Okay. Um, is it on Spotify? Uh, that's on Spotify as well yeah, but it's okay. just pure yeah. old school technical thrash like creator but Aid plays all the guitars I'm going to check it because you he's, said he was an amazing guitarist he's a, a great guitarist and, and on Spotify you know, and speaking of uh, trash just recently uh, just quickly someone did say in one of the questions that on Blackfish you put out one of the best thrash compilations as well like so they wanted to say thank you for that thank you yeah I mean I was really into thrash metal in the 80s you know as well as punk and hardcore and stuff like that and um we got hardcore bands from all around the world who all love thrash as well. I mean, you've only got to listen to some of the Stamping Ground riffs to see that we yeah, yeah. we were into thrash. Yeah. Um, you know, and a lot of the, you know, even even the sort of, you know, modern beatdown bands, you you know they like Slayer and yeah, stuff definitely, like that. Definitely. So it was just a nod. And, you know, and I got Jim Durkin from Dark Angel, Tony Scaglioni from Whiplash to write liner notes. Like I said, I got nice. Ed Repka at a retirement. So Repka does, do you've done all the Mega artwork Death. for Megadeth yeah. and shit. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He's yeah. like a... So it, bank, it bankrupted me, it bankrupted me, that release, but it was one of my oh, favourite releases because Stamping Ground did Calling in the Coroner by Violence, which oh. is like, 
you know that's one of my favorite thrash albums so wow Wow, man well Ian man thank you so so much yeah man for real yeah thanks for having me go check out all the stuff on Blackfish Go and check out all, all, all his books. Warhound. 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 Flesh wound. But here, man, like, I'm going to say, even if you don't like to, to hear it, mate, you are a legend, mate. Thank you for what you've done for the UK hardcore scene. We didn't get into the terrorizer thing. The fact that you used to cover a lot of the UK hardcore shows back in the day and put it into mainstream. I don't know if you had anything to do with it. There was a knuckle dust... I had a song on one of the Terrorizer CDs. I don't know if that was anything, you had anything to do with that? Um, <sighs> yeah, I can't, yeah, I did. Thank you. Things like that, man. You didn't have to do shit like that. Yeah, like, true, man. You, do you know what I mean? And I, I appreciate that, man. So thank you very much, man. That's all right. It's my pleasure. Anything you want to say? Just thanks for having me, guys. It was, it's a trip down memory lane. It was really good. Um, thank you. And thank you for coming, man. And we're going to uh, wait for the stamping ga- ground. We, 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 God, I can't speak. Reunion. Now. Reunion. <laughs> Reunion. I'm going to shut up. Thank you very much, man, and good night. You're listening to the Everyone But Us podcast, straight from the heart of London.